everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of the Cinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and it's pizza time. I've been on a diet, been looking forward to it for months. That's right. Today, we are busting out the nunchucks and perhaps some skateboards for our review of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. We have a lot to talk about today because we're going to start the conversation off by concluding our epic three-part trilogy, 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 assessment of the Barbenheimer double feature by revealing the results of our contest that we announced back in our Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 review. Uh, speaking of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, that's definitely got to be the greatest victim of Barbenheimer. <laughs> Just murdered the box office momentum for that movie. Uh, we're then going to move on to a pair of icebreaker questions, and I think one in particular is going to be a lot of fun where we're going to list our top five films of the year so far, and then we're going to jump into a spoiler-free review of TMNT Mutant May, where we'll provide our verdicts on the film, and then we're going to conclude the show with an in-depth spoiler discussion. I'm so thrilled to be joined by my co-host. Might have fallen into a vat of uh, green goop, has an extra horn. LaRon Chapman, my co-host and award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker, now with a horn on his head. Welcome to the show. How are you liking the new look? Uh, you know, just trying new things. Are you a sausage pizza person? Or are you a classic pep person? Classic pep, uh, but I, I don't, I just like pizza. Yeah. Although, maybe this is a different podcast. Pineapples on pizza, LeRon? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, no, no, abomination. <laughs> no. Okay, okay. Well, none said. I, I'm glad we can still be, we can still talk about this movie, but after this Fine. review, it's, it's, it's over, no, I, I think. Yeah. It's a strong position. Yeah, you got to handle it. <laughs> Also very excited to be joined uh, by a first-time guest. He's the host of the What's Up Fandom podcast, Josh Kane. Josh, welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, sir. Uh, thanks for having me, Caleb. It's a... Uh... It's it's a thing we were. I thought we were just here to do pizza. Like really, I thought that's what we were talking about. Our <laughs> there's like, literally no our pizza. pizza. There's literally no pizza. I know. I you would think for a Ninja Turtles, or we would have a good host that brings us pizza. But I no, whatever, did. it's fine. No, I feel bad because I really, I, I the idea was there, and then I yeah, I fell off my diet last night. And it didn't happen. It was bad. But how about pineapple on a pizza, Josh? That's the most important thing, really. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like the, there's a sweet and savory. You have to have it with something like salty, like a Canadian, and like mm. that's like. Like Canadian and then just bacon and then pineapple, that's it right there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you can maybe throw some olives in there too, like all delicious okay. olives. I do. I used to hate olives. On, I have definitely come around to olives on pizza. I'm pretty much anything except for the pineapples just because I guess I like in controversial opinions. Last <laughs> but certainly not least, I am I have no friends here. He definitely does like pineapple on pizza. I'm rejoined by Good Trash Media co-founder and the co-host of the Good Trash Genre cast, Arthur Gordon. Arthur, welcome back to the show, sir. Cowabunga, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're all friends despite me apparently not liking pineapple on pizza and you all being on board. Get on the pineapple wagon. I guess. This is a hot take. You, you Believe me, you, the, the comments on this particular thread is going to get spicy <laughs> because of this comment. It almost ruined my future marriage because Lauren <laughs> also likes it on pizza. And every time she asks and I do it, I'm like, yes, but if we also get a regular pizza, pineapple on pizza is like dessert pizza. I'm cool with dessert pizza, but I want dinner pizza first. Okay. <laughs> In which case, everyone looks at me like I'm an asshole. So <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> do you normally eat like tomatoes for dessert? Is that like your tomatoes and cheese? Is that like your... Like, it's, I would rather dessert. I not. I don't like sweet when I'm craving savory, and in pizza I think savory. In theory, I'm not against it, but it's more like a, a side item of maybe. Do you enjoy okay. honey mustard? With my chicken, sometimes teriyaki chicken. Mm. I can I can do teriyaki. sweet and sour chicken. Sweet and sour chicken. Mm, 
actually, you know, probably not. He's Jedi mind fucking. I know. <laughs> He's like, you do. Uh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what happens when Caleb invites a bunch of trolls onto his podcast. Uh, hey, everyone, if you're enjoying today's conversation, I wanted to note that uh, you could help us out, get discovered by more listeners like you, and then you can all harass me about my poor tastes in pizza. The best way to do so is by heading over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and a review. It'll help us get discovered by more listeners just like you. And hey, sometimes we have polls. Polls like our Barbenheimer poll. So, I know. We've all been waiting for it. Which film, based on this crazy, ridiculous uh, setup I came up with, the rules I came up with, which Barbenheimer movie won? Well, firstly, uh, I'm just going to say it has to be, number one, they both won. <laughs> Barbie crossed a billion dollars this weekend. Barbie won for sure. It doesn't matter. None of the, Really, nothing else matters. <laughs> Barbie made tons of money and people liked it, period. Wins. You know, I'm just, I just hope everyone had a good time. You know, okay. both parties, both camps. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to get to that in one moment. But first, uh, a few programming announcements. Big one. So we've had an exceptional run this July. After coming back from Dead Center, we were away for exactly one month. And we came back with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. And we've had new episodes every week uh, versus our biweekly schedule. So we did Dead Reckoning Part 1, Barbenheimer. Uh, we did a couple filmmaker interviews for the uh, Doc OKC Film Festival, and now we're here with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. With all that in mind, we are going to take another break today. We'll be on a hiatus until October. Why? That's a long hiatus. Well, one, I'm getting married, and uh, turns out you have to plan stuff, I guess. Did you guys, you guys, some of you guys are married. Arthur's married. Did you have to plan a wedding? Did that I think that may have happened. Okay, it's been a minute. Laurent, you plan? You got married recently? It, it's it, I'm whiplash. Yes, it was, but it's been. I've been married a year, but I feel like I'm still planning. I, I, the wedding happened, right? You were there. It. You know, I saw vows exchanged. I, now somebody planned all that. I don't mm, know who did it. Yeah, I am taking a little bit of a break uh, to because my attention is needed there, and uh, that's okay. But I'm not going to pull a pandemic on you where we just like randomly release episodes. No, we're going to be back in October. We are going to be reviewing a big one. Very excited to talk about it. Killers of the Flower Moon. And we're also going to be reviewing The Exorcist Believer. There might be a couple of other surprises in there. I'm celebrating my my uh, my wedding the day after Dune Part 1 comes out. We'll be doing that in November as well. It might be a little late. So anyway, fall's coming. Pending the writer's strike uh, sag after strike, in which case, if there's any updates on the scheduling due to all the disruption. You can find us on Facebook, X, <laughs> threads, and Instagram to find more updates. Or I might just drop a little short little audio announcement in the RSS feed for you subscribers out there. But you can plan on us being back at the beginning of October uh, with Killers of the Flower Moon. Very, very much excited to talk more about that. But let's get back to Barbenheimer. Hey, before I get into the results here, because I love to keep people on edge, Josh and Arthur, neither of you were here for our reviews of either Barbie or Oppenheimer. Josh, I know you did a full-blown episode on it, and Arthur, you guys did something, did you guys do anything for We did a little thing on Oppenheimer, because yeah. I hadn't seen Barbie at the time. Okay. So we did talk about uh, Opp. Good old Oppie. Yeah. I mean, have you seen Barbie? Yes. Yeah. 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 What did you think of both films? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I had, you know, I enjoyed both quite a bit. I, I just had fun that weekend. It was exciting to see people excited to go to the movies. And it was just like an electric kind of atmosphere, seeing people pinked out and uh, like 
all of the you know partners brought along to Oppenheimer probably to like have this pack made so that the other would go see Barbie. Like it was just fun atmosphere. I think all around that weekend, uh, I liked. I had more fun with Barbie. I mean, just energetic comedy, fun. Uh, but I thought Oppenheimer was probably the stronger film technically, you know, so, uh, if I'm ranking them, Oppenheimer might come in higher, but I'll probably be more quick to rewatch Barbie yeah. uh, over and over. So hundred percent. I would, uh, I, I can't use the word retweet because tweets don't exist anymore, but, um, I would reshare that opinion. Yeah. I think that's pretty triple X. Triple X. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I think that that's a great, I, I, yeah. that's kind of what we were saying here on the show. Uh, Laurent, you said somewhere thing. You're like probably going to rewatch Barbie more frequently, mm-hmm. but Oppenheimer is the one that's, you yeah. know, Pretty for sure. Yeah. Filmmaking wise, pretty top notch. Josh, what was your take on Barbenheimer? Uh, my take was I don't appreciate the fact that I was not asked if I was married. Are you married, Josh? No, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to put you in an awkward position because I was like, either that or I was like, shit, I really effed up. And this guy's oh, no, no, no. Um, no, I have an, uh, a crippling addiction to uh, Pokemon cards and vintage video game consoles. So, yeah, that's that's where my have you seen goes. my Have you seen my office? Bro, I'll send you, I'll send you pictures. Ooh. I'll send you pictures. Don't okay, you worry. Right. I got you. I'm excited. I am in the very strong minority of, I think there's three of us. Um, we're meeting on Thursday. But <laughs> I honestly did not care for either movie um i went into bar uh barbie thinking it was going to be like enchanted and it was going to be like a a nice little thing Mm. and uh i loved all the parts when we were in barbie land um and then when we left Mm -hmm. i was like i don't really care about the real world that much i thought it was going to be a little bit more whimsical Mm -hmm. um did not happen um oppenheimer i thought the acting was phenomenal um, it was definitely a fluff piece, um, especially if you know anything about, you know, Oppenheimer and the Manhattan Project and Ooh. everything like that. It's definitely a fluff piece for Oppenheimer, which that's what it was. It's a biopic. So, I mean, that's what it was going to be. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't super thrilled for either one. Um, it, they were, they definitely, and we did a whole episode, our 399 episode, um, where we did, Barbie and Oppenheimer, and we had uh, Harold from Toons Tunes and mm-hmm. um, Angelica on, and we talked about that. And I think both Angelica and I both gave Barbie like a like our our um, rating is pass stream rent or buy, mm-hmm. and I think we both gave it streams because she wasn't really feeling a lot of it. I wasn't really feeling a lot of it. Um, Oppenheimer did the same thing, gave it a stream. Um, again, it's it's they were they were good they they were good films to watch in the theater. I have no desire to watch either one of them again. Again? Yeah. Okay. Well, hey. But I'm I'm very much a a not good movie theater <laughs> goer and watcher. I mean, you did just tell us that you go to Flick's Brew House like every week right before yes. the show. Yeah. I, I would say you're actually maybe the best theater goer watcher. I mean, I, I when we were talking looking at like the, the movies and everything, I had to write down the ones that I liked and then like marked them off and everything. So I was like, <laughs> oh man, that was a that was a whole thing. <laughs> Well, hey, uh, listen, I don't – the only way you can be a bad theater goer is if you go to a movie and you're an a-hole to other people, frankly. If at any other point, I think you're great. Has, so. any, has anybody hit the little buzzer at Flix and have uh, wrote a little piece of thing on the paper and said that this person's on their phone? You need to tell them to stop. <laughs> I I definitely have. I mean – love that. I was. no, you should honestly. I I think theaters need I to enforce it. Yeah. Oh, when, <laughs> I they tell you to do that. They're like, if they're bothering you, let the staff know. And like, huh. there was a dude during Haunted Mansion, and I was like, 
this mother over here. <laughs> Back to Barbenheimer contest. Who wins? So, quick refresher. I'm going to go down each category and how I, we determine who wins what category. First category, 25% of this uh, whole vote is going to be weighted. Uh, which film, what was the average review or letter grade of the hosts? And on both reviews, the Oppenheimer we gave, everyone gave it an A or an A minus. And Barbie, everyone gave it an A. Well, we had an A plus, two A minuses, and a B plus. So the A plus, it kind of averaged the same. So they both get, both of these get five points. Second was Rotten Tomatoes score. Technically, Oppenheimer wins 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Barbie had 88%. Oppie gets one extra point there. And they both have uh, like around 300 reviews, if I'm not mistaken. So it's yeah. actually a pretty good sampling in terms of overall. I was surprised Barbie dropped as low as it did because it la had last time I checked, it was like in the 90s. 25% mm -hmm. is going to be based on the box office winner after the first two weekends. And uh, yeah, no contest. And weekend number one, Barbie brought in $235 million versus Oppenheimer's $85 million. And in weekend two, it brought in $93 million to Oppenheimer's $46.2 million. Again, for a movie that's a three-hour-long biopic, Oppenheimer is actually crushing it. it uh, as of this weekend, it is now the highest-grossing World War II movie ever. Uh, so it's not—it's no slouch. It's just that nobody <laughs> expected Barbie to be a—I mean, it's going to be the biggest movie of the year. Yeah, It mm -hmm. crossed a billion dollars, and it's— I, Mario was 1.2 yeah. and Bar Barbie's only in its third week. And I'm, I'm like, it's going to catch it. It's yeah. I, I, I'm sure. Did we do, I thought we did initially like a podcast uh, just a little bit back where we were kind of guessing which movie was going to win the years. And I think, mm -hmm. I think you guessed Mario, Mario, Mario which initially was the case. Um, you said Barbie. I think I said Barbie. I'm pretty sure you I'm did. I'm pretty sure I did. I was like, I think we're underestimating that little doll movie. You, <laughs> I think you're I, right. There's a lot of people that like this doll, and I'm telling you, that's like half the country, half you know, half the country's mm -hmm. female, and some. I'm sure they play with it. And then if you got Greta Gerwig fans, the art house crowd, there's just so many demographics that it touched that I was like, I feel like that's going to be a mega hit, and it it was. Barbie wins by a landslide, gets the full five points, and the last twenty five percent here was based off of the Cinematropolis audience polls, which we had one on. Twitter slash X, Facebook, and Spotify. We had around 50 votes come in across platforms. Thank you to everyone who participated, especially in Spotify, guys. Great tool for polls. My favorite. Oppenheimer wins with 58.6% of the vote. Barbie with 41.4%, which, you know, considering our demographic, our listenership demographic is not super surprising. But, you know, it's not as if our fans represent the entire Sure. world but uh i will tell you Oppenheimer fans showed up because i was worried there was a there was a hot minute where on twitter no one voted for barbie and there was like 10 or 15 votes for oppenheimer i was like well uh but it did it did even out based on the parameters design and again i'm not sitting here telling you one of them is definitively better or worse but who won oppenheimer however reiterating what i said earlier Barbie made all the money in the world and uh, brought people into theaters in a really powerful way. So I would say we all win, really. <laughs> what was the point of this contest, Laurent? Why did you let me do this? Oh, man. Well, now I know that everyone hates women, and that's good to <laughs> I'm glad that, you know, I mean, it's glad to put that out there. There, That's why the movie was made. But no, no, I think um, that makes sense. I mean, given these parameters, and, and like I said, I enjoyed both movies, so... I, there's no loser here, really. It, well, when I came up with the idea to, to do this, I was thinking it was going to be more of a versus thing, but that's what's been beautiful about the whole thing. Like, I, I really mm -hmm. haven't seen people trying to, air quotes, pit them against each other. It's either like, 
you go to both or you pick your flavor. Yep. Yeah. It's a kind of, a, that's, I think that was what the merging of these titles and the whole marketing for this whole thing has been is kind of like, it's a playful com- competition. It's just really, we just want everyone to go to the theaters. Yeah. I mean, I would say, like, in neither one of the studios is like, they just kind of embraced it as like a fun thing. Mm-hmm. Movies are great. And uh, frankly, the, they needed it. Uh, I was looking at a report this morning and like before Barbenheimer, they were down something like six or 7% from last year, which was still, it was 2022, mm-hmm. still technically a, COVID year for all intents and purposes, so they needed the win, and uh, glad to see it. Hopefully, especially if there's a drought coming up. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, so. hopefully the strike can be resolved soon, sooner rather than later. Uh, but uh, yeah, anyway, sorry, Josh, you didn't like the movies, but I'm glad that you showed up and you gave theaters your money. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's the real winners was mm-hmm. the theaters. The yes. fact that they yeah. embraced. Every like AMC embraced it, Regal embraced mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. Flix embraced. Everybody was like Barbenheimer, like just everything Barbenheimer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, smartest move you could have done. Yep. Like you go with the social media yep. and go straight into it. It, it was it was genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm glad you mentioned the social media piece. I think the other thing I would say was a lot of times there's social media stuff that turns out to be a big flop. I mean, we, we've seen it all. I mean, the <laughs> snakes on a plane back in the day was one. There was a whole viral campaign what? that was each but that movie flopped hard. What? Yeah, they, they, there was the re-release of Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> small, small Listen, silver linings. <laughs> it was, in fact, the year of Morbius, not because it was successful, because the studio kept insisting that the fans wanted it back and kept putting it back in theaters. Well, I mean, Yikes. Sonic does the same thing. I mean, like, so mm. much social media oh, outcry yeah. and they had to completely change everything. So mm-hmm. like social media is not to be trifled with in this day and age. Yeah. Um, it does make me think like I, it would have been really cool back in 2008 because I was working at a theater in 2008. So it would have been really cool if someone would have thought about dark Knight, mama Mia thing like oh, yeah. that. Cross, mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh man, we would have been, that would have been so much fun. Little Absolutely. high school Mama Josh. Knight. Let's oh, go. it would have been so fun. Christian Bale in the bat costume on <laughs> SNL singing and dancing. Come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, great stuff. Uh, well, with that said, gentlemen, let's move into our icebreaker question two for this week. First one's the big one. So since we are going to be going on a end of summer hiatus, and because we took a break in June, we have kind of missed the halfway point, but we haven't quite gotten to air quotes prestige movies season, which is coming. Usually starts around end of September, beginning of October, after we get through the Toronto Film Festival. So I thought it might be a good time for us to sit down and talk about our top five favorite movies of the year so far. Now, I want to clarify, unlike our top five films of the year episode last year, we will not talk for three hours about these selections. (laughs) We're each going to go through our list uh, individually. Like, for example, I'll pass it to Lauren. He'll give all five of his. Light justification's cool, but we'll keep it short so we can keep get back to Ninja Turtles here pretty quickly. Uh, with that said, Laurent Chapman, my co-host, I will start with you. What are your top five films of the year so far? Why did I struggle with this so much? Because mm-hmm. not because I was trying to cobble together five movies I liked. Because there's I actually had like twelve that I liked mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit that I gave all about the same rating. But um, just for the you know to say the essence of brevity here, I'll just say Past Life so far is my favorite film this year. Um, um, very next underneath that would be Oppenheimer. Um, and then uh, Spider-Man Across the uh, the Spider-Verse uh, comes at number three. Um, then Barbie. And then um, fifth place was hard. I really liked Air a lot yeah. this year. I think yep. people have forgotten about it, but mm-hmm. had a blast with that. A movie I had no intention of liking because the sports movie is not my my jam. You know, and it just happened to be this really crowd-pleasing, funny, like whether you like sports or don't like sports, it was just a, gr- a good comedy, you know. And so... Um, I'm, I'm oscillating between that. Um, I also liked, um, 
uh, Dungeons and Dragons a lot more than I thought I would. So mm -hmm. those are fighting for fifth spot, but you know, whatever, you know, I gotta say my, my, I think there's at least five movies in contention for the number five spot where I literally mm -hmm. yeah. want to pick all of them. Yeah. It's a, it's been a, I just will say it's been a really great year for movies. That's why they, it felt like it was the first, this is the first year I feel like we're back to consistent, getting consistent winners. Yeah. Not that every year, even pre pandemic was that way. Yeah. Um, it's a good genre movies yeah. too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, so hopefully it's going to tide us over for the upcoming drought, as you say. All right, Josh Kane, tell me, what are your top five films of the year so far? So in my old age, I've... <laughs> He's ancient, by the way, ancient, guys. so old, you yeah. don't even know. I've decided that I want to be happy. The depression takes... There's, there's a good part of that, too. I went with uh, Asteroid City. Mm. I loved Asteroid City. I mm -hmm. thought it was really fun. Meg 2... Uh, Meg 2. Meg 2. The Trench. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> we almost, you know, Josh, we almost reviewed the Meg 2 on this episode. We almost did a Meg 2 review instead of a Ninja Turtles review. But I, I texted LeRoy and said we can do one uh, TMNT or the Meg 2. And he, no hesitation. Oh, the, oh, the it Ninja is my Turtles. fault that that didn't happen. So, <laughs> well, so I'm sorry we didn't me. talk about this, your second favorite movie of the year. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm well, putting it all on LeRoy. Since, you know? since Cinematropolis is, is going on hiatus, you are welcome to come over on oh, our show too. and we can talk about the Meg. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> um, I. Big thing, should have done the Meg and Meg 2, should have done it as a double feature, would have been even better. Mario, I thought Mario was really fun. Haunted Mansion, which was, I literally only went to go see Haunted Mansion because I had a free free movie. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go see Haunted Mansion. Why not? There were four people in that theater. We were <laughs> laughing. It was great. Um, one of the best movie theater experiences I've had. And then Dungeons and Dragons. Number five. That's at my list, yeah. Mm. We're going to see. I think we all have one thing in common. We probably all like Dungeons and Dragons. So that that's good. Also, Mario movie now, uh, I know, not sponsored, but now on Peacock. Mm -hmm. I will take your money, Peacock. I just gave you a free ad. <laughs> Arthur Gordon, what are uh, your top yeah. five films uh, so far? I'm going to cross over a bit with Laurent. Uh So at number one and two, I have Past Lives and Oppenheimer. Nice. Um, just, yeah. I'm a sucker for people talking uh, a lot, and both of those movies have that in space. <laughs> uh, I got John Wick Chapter 4. Uh, on here at three, yeah. yeah. Uh, I put air at number four. I, again, people talking, and I, I enjoy good actors talking, and so uh, had a lot of that this year. And then at number five, I'm gonna, I think, elevate the little uh, polite society. I don't know, yeah. how many I people mean, have seen that. I've heard, but I've heard good things. I, I caught it's very much. Uh, it kind of feels like Bennett like Becca meets uh, Scott Pilgrim, Ooh. yeah, which is a fun. <laughs> it's just a fun time. Had like a good that. time with that one. So uh, I encourage people to go check that out. Also on Peacock. It's on Peacock? Yep. Mm -hmm. well, I know I'm doing tonight. Check it <laughs> so. out. So is that like football mixed with uh, she is with, a, with a band? She is a stunt, stunt actress. She wants to be a stunt woman. She's like in high school or whatever in Britain. Uh, and uh, she thinks that her sister uh, is arranging to marry a guy who has diabolical plans. And so she has to face off with uh, the family in a very what Scott Pilgrim-y way. It, what was it called again? Polite, Polite Society. Society. All right. Mm -hmm. Very funny. It, it came out earlier this year and it got yeah. a lot of buzz. Uh, I didn't realize yeah, I think it premiered at Sundance. And yeah. yeah. I'm excited. I've been wanting to check that one out. Uh, okay. Did you Have you seen uh, Dungeons & Dragons, Arthur? Oh, yeah. I do like Dungeons & Dragons. And you like it? Okay. Yeah. Cool, cool. All right. So we can all agree that we like Dungeons & Dragons. Yes. Because... Which is weird because I didn't, I didn't think I would be the kind of person that would right. like Dungeons & Dragons. And then we, yeah. Well, they did a good job of making it. Not a Dungeons and Dragons movie, so that it, yeah, I was like mm -hmm. their saving grace. Yeah. They got well, it's based on yeah, it's based on like a different fantasy lore, but it does kind of contain a lot of the like um, 
for at least from my experience was, and we talked about in depth on the show, is that I felt like I was sitting with a bunch of buddies at the table and just making stuff mm-hmm. up and having fun. The random, it was so good at general, like creating moments of random, silly randomness that mm-hmm. that's part of the yep. appeal for me, at yep. least for playing the game. All right. Number one, man, I, I'm, Ron, I'm like you and this, I might wake up next week and be like, why did I rank any of these movies here? <laughs> and these are based on my favorites. We're not doing the best. This is just my, my preferred list. Uh, number one, Oppenheimer. I've seen it twice. Yeah. And I wasn't sure at first if it was going to be like a great one because I had some cons- issues with the pacing, specifically after you get past the end of the second act where there's a big set piece. But when I knew where the whole thing was going, it clicked way better the second time for me hmm. uh, in terms of the pacing. And yeah, people talking in rooms with like some of the best actors on the planet. <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. just what more can you want, um, at least from that type of uh, biopic. Uh, number two, John Wick Chapter Four. Need to be say more. Just incredible, impressive action. Mm-hmm. Uh, Past Lives. Number three, same rationale. Um, I one thing I'd add is uh, just love being exposed to perspectives that I do not encounter mm-hmm. in my everyday life. Mm-hmm. And I thought that movie not only exposed me to the first generation immigrant story, but also really digs into like what what's that experience actually like in the grand scheme of your life. Number four, Air. Also loved it. All the reasons you guys have said. Uh, number five is a five-way tie. Actually, a six-way <laughs> tie for Barbie, Spider-Man, Dungeons & Dragons, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Bo is Afraid, and Asteroid City. You could also throw Suzume in there. It's right behind that. Um, if we included Dead Center picks, I'd have Quantum Cowboys on here. So what am I going to pick? I think I'm going to also pick Dungeons & Dragons. Why? I would probably put Spider-Verse in there, but I don't think it's a complete movie. <laughs> So therefore, if it had ended 15 minutes sooner, it probably would have been number one. <laughs> Those are my picks. And who knows when we'll get that sequel now, but it's you know. It's never, it's gonna be, I, I think people need to batten down the hatches. It's gonna be like three plus years before we get that, mm, is my guess. devastating. Yeah, okay. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, listeners, what are your top five films of the year so far? Let us know by commenting on social media, Facebook, X, Instagram, or actually a lot more uh, active on Instagram these days, or threads. Uh, all right, next icebreaker question. What has been your favorite iteration of the Ninja Turtles to date? And uh, feel free to just tell us a little bit about your experience with the Ninja Turtles as well. Might be a good time to introduce folks so they can understand exactly where we're coming from from our POVs. Josh, I'll start with you on this one. Probably this one. Um, I think the last Ninja Turtles I, movie I watched was on VHS, and it was Secret of the Ooze nice. when I was probably seven. So that is... That I'm, my my exposure to Ninja Turtles is I know it was on, and I mm-hmm. was like, all right, good for you. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like Pokemon's on as well. Yeah, I'm really going to do that one. Um, and yeah, I think I had, I know I had one Donatello toy, and he had a cowboy hat. Oh, that's cool. And that was, that that's my entire history of the Ninja Turtles. And I guess Rob Paulson was yeah in one of them yeah that was, <laughs> that was it so if he has a cowboy hat would that make him a teenage mutant ninja cowboy turtle or a teenage mutant cowboy turtle i would say teenage mutant cowboy turtle okay well it's going to take me to my next person arthur gordon who has my understanding significantly more arthur before <laughs> you, you tell us about it which one is it is it teenage mutant ninja cowboy turtle or teenage mutant <laughs> cowboy turtle I'm a sucker for just adding adjectives. So <laughs> long and absurd. So the more ninja cowboy turtle. All right. 
TMNCT. Real quick, Arthur, before before we kind of go into it, um, the first two Ninja Turtles movies were they supposed to be teenagers? Like, were they were they teenage? I think it's always turtles? in the title. But I, and I think that's something that I was going to bring up. I mean, probably talk about it's later. Like they but don't seem like no. teenagers. So this week I've watched, I rewatched Secret of the Ooze a few days ago. Mm-hmm. I've rewatched, or I watched Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I've watched a few episodes of the original animated series, and they always come off as like I mentioned it to a friend earlier as like dorm bros. Like they mm. seem older, but they're just immature. But they don't really have yeah. that teenage, you know, yeah. but like immature. Male man child yeah. children. Young adult ninja turtles. Young adult ninja turtles. Yeah. Young adult mutant ninja turtles. Adolescent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they've always, you know, had uh, just because I think in the, especially in the live action movies, they were like giant. So they yeah. don't look young. They don't sound young. I think one of the Corey's voices, you know, one of them in with the first movie. And so that's kind of the closest we get, but he doesn't have the characteristics of a teenager. We are going to talk more about this probably later in the podcast, mm-hmm. but I had the exact same. I actually asked the same question rewatching the second one. These aren't teenagers. I mean, Raph's dressed in a trench coat, quote, in Casablanca. You know, like no <laughs> teenagers doing I, that. I don't know you if know. you've been to a middle school. <laughs> middle a school lot of bogey cosplay going on. Right? Guys, ever, you, you, we all went to school in the 90s. You guys weren't quoting Casablanca on the playground? They all love James Dean. I don't know if you guys know. <laughs> So, Arthur, tell us a little bit more about your experience with the Turtles and then which, which one's your favorite. I mean, yeah, it was the prime target, right? I mean, I, I, I was born in 86. That series hits in 87. So I was right there with it. Uh, so, I mean, the 80s, 90s cartoon is kind of the definitive thing for me when I think about the Turtles. Uh, that, that series is what always comes to mind. If I'm looking for, you know, merchandise or shirts or paraphernalia, it's going to be that version of the series. And so that's what I grew up with. I had all the toys. Uh, so it was a big turtle head. Um, I, I didn't really have any familiarity with the comics. Uh, I didn't even, you know, didn't know they were a thing until I, I got older. Um, and so I've, but I've seen, I think most of the movies in theaters, you know, it's, it's always kind of just been inherently this nostalgia in my DNA to support turtles. Absolutely. Any turtle movie. It doesn't have to be the Teenage Mutant Ninja variety either. That's so. just, you got a turtle in your movie. <laughs> I'm, I'm going there. to be there. So if they make a Franklin movie, you're like, <laughs> in the front, we're like, day Let's one. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on this episode. Yeah. I needed this expertise because <laughs> even though Laurent and I, Laurent, pick, you picked this movie, of, uh, of course, compared to Meg 2, but what would you say, is, what has been your experience with the turtles overall? You know, it's limited, but I, what I remember uh, vividly as a kid is watching the Jim Henson one. Uh, the mm-hmm. sequel in particular, which is, the, I think it's the one with Shredder, yep. maybe? Yeah. yeah. So the sequel is the one I remember, the one that didn't have April Neal in it. So, like, it, 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 she was, or was she? Secret or, of the Use, April's there, but she's not prominent. Prominent, okay. She's in the beginning and then kind yeah, of they stay in her apartment. Okay. Yeah. okay, so that's the one I remember watching on mm-hmm. repeat as a kid, just because it was, a, it was a VHS in the house that we, you know, you just put in. Mm-hmm. So I watched it out of sequence, but... Um, those are that's kind of my my childhood memory that I've encased of it, you know. But um, so I mean to say what's the best? I mean I haven't revisited them, so I can't say how they hold up. But I do I do remember not relating to them as kids even then. Mm-hmm. So and just seeing them as th- things that were doing you know cool stuff. But um, that would be the three ninjas. I think is the one that. Oh yeah, yeah. Those were the, that that I could relate to because I was the same age as the kids. Yeah. You know, like but three ninjas kick back the sequel. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I think that um, 
this is probably my favorite iteration of it. I mean, just again, we'll talk about it more, but definitely um, can see how they found the right vibe and the right. Um, they have a, a, it has enough nostalgia, but it also um, feels more authentic to the youth experience, mm-hmm. you know, than you know than probably other iterations did. Right. They actually feel like teenagers. Teenagers, right? Mm-hmm. Making references that make sense, like mm-hmm. about Adele, or, or like BTS. you know, or, yeah, or BTS. You know, <laughs> like okay, yeah, that's what kids this age would be talking about. So that made more sense. So love it. My experience, I have been Turtles adjacent. I have watched a lot of it. Like I've seen several episodes of the animated, the original animated series. I've seen little bits and pieces of the one that aired when I was in college. So in the 2010s. Mm-hmm. Since then, I've kind of fallen out. You and I. Uh, on the defunct Back to the Movies podcast, reviewed Out of the Shadows. That is the second Michael Bay movie, and uh, you know it was it existed, and it <laughs> definitely felt like something. Michael Bay was a producer, not a director. Mm-hmm. Should clarify, uh, and I w- I remember not being crazy about it. Mm-hmm. So I would say probably this is also the version I like the best. But my understanding is there is a lot of the stuff that aired again in the. 2010s that was really really good and i feel like if i had invested the time i probably would have really dug it yeah um that sort of thing arthur we're a bunch of filthy casuals uh at at best uh filthy casuals so thank you for lending your expertise uh, for this episode arthur did they ever bring back that female turtle did they ever bring her back i mean the one that that, power rangers in space episode episode? yeah well she you know she was part of the live action series they did in the late 90s Oh, that's right. The Venus is a Venus. They name her after an art piece, since there were no Renaissance female painters. Um, so she's actually brought in for that live action series that they did in the nineties. Uh, was she in the stage musical too? That I, I don't, maybe yeah, going around. Okay. I want to say she was actually. I feel like I've having I saw photos with her in it. I think. I don't know. I would, they, they ever going to yeah. bring her back? I don't know. That would be fun. It was interesting because it was a push for diversity mm-hmm. and inclusivity in a time where, generally speaking, that wasn't as big a deal as it is today. So it's kind of surprising when you think about it, they haven't tried to reintegrate yeah. her. Well, I mean, I think April just fills kind of that role anyway. In a, right. In a, so. That's true. Well, listeners, there you have it. There are our turtle takes on the Ooh, turtle takes. Yeah, turtle takes on the Coined series that. franchise at large. Without further ado, let's get into our review of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Boys, where have you been? Woo! We're just running errands. That's it. Really sorry, Splinter. Some of the guys wanted to get pizza, and I tried to talk them out of it. Leo! You ratted us out. Hey, don't use that word that way. I mean, it's 2023. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. If we weren't monsters that were shunned by society and we could do what we wanted, <laughs> what would you guys do? Go to high school. Maybe get a girlfriend. Can you imagine that? Not likely. <laughs> According to IMDb, TMNT Mutant Mayhem is described as. The film follows the Turtle Brothers as they work to earn the love of New York City while facing down an army of mutants. The Turtle Brothers. It must sound like the Mario Brothers. <laughs> Are we competing against the Mario Brothers with this movie? I don't know. Uh, a few fun facts about this specific film. The Mutant Mayhem is the seventh theatrically released TMNT movie since the original was released in 1990. 
It's also the first big screen version since the Michael Bay version of the Turtles released in 2014 with a follow-up sequel, Out of the Shadows, in 2016. This version is also the beginning of a much larger reboot, which includes, assuming this film is successful, a second movie in a two-season TV show that will bridge the story between the films. Uh, the CEO of Paramount recently said that they are doubling down on franchises and existing IPs, and Turtles is a big part of that. Uh, and contrary to the industry norms, especially when we think about industry norms in the post-COVID environment, the cast was recorded as many video sessions together or in the specific groups for the scenes as they could to create a more organic chemistry between the performers. So uh, for listeners, you don't know uh, a lot of times, especially you think about COVID precautions, and this is very common in video games, especially uh, voice actors are doing things by themselves and it's being, you know, stopped, uh, kind of put together in post. There are series that do it. I know me and Joshua Unruh have the animated discussion podcast. that's also now defunct. Those old DC cartoons, they used to get everyone together and do it like radio st show style. And from what I understand, and actually, Josh, you'd probably be the most qualified to talk about this, but like uh, that's not a super common thing that happens all the time. No, uh, nine times out of 10, what will happen is you'll get your call, you'll get your, your studio time, you'll go down to Dubbing Brothers or wherever you're going. You'll record all of your lines. You'll have a sound engineer there who's checking your levels and everything like that. You'll also have your director there as well. And your voice director is going to direct you on certain things. So they're like, all right, we need you to do this and this type of thing. They're going to listen to it. And if they like it, they'll say, okay, next line. They're, they want to give you at least three takes of each one. So they're going to be sitting here behind a screen box so that they can watch you so that you can do all of your animations to get big and everything that you need to be and that's basically how that's going to go so having it to where they're gonna they had all four of these kids in um in a you know set together it's not like you don't do that anymore like it's something that you know used to happen with some things like some animated shows some anime really did it um because they were able to get a lot of stuff like that um I think Dragon Prince is the last one that I know that actually did some of that. Oh, that's cool. But Canada can get it, you know, away with all kinds of things because they're Canadia. But yeah, it's it's something that is not common. So the fact that they were able to do this, and when I heard they did that, and then listening to their dialogue in the film, it makes the film. It yeah. it really does. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's going to take us right into our uh, reviews for the film because uh, I'm I'm with you. Whenever you, I mean, it's like the difference between doing podcasts remotely. I mean, I, I think uh, mm -hmm. we're all podcasters. And I know three of us are the producers. Like doing a podcast remotely versus in person. You, it, anytime you're not in person, you have all these barriers. So imagine doing a podcast where your producers listen to you talk, and then they just go record that other person's take and then splice it together. You know, it, it just the chemistry is not there, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have the whole cast in the room talking to each other, they probably riff on each other. They're more comfortable saying lines a certain way. Yeah, it just changes the dynamic. It's super cool. Uh, with that said, Josh, I'll turn it to you first. What did you think of Mutant Mayhem? This is a very fun movie. Um, it's got really good dialogue. The acting was really good. Um, that was my, my biggest thing uh, as having the actual, you know, teenagers there it just comes off as way more authentic yeah. mm -hmm. it's very it's that again that's the best part of the entire movie like the the animation is good the the character design is good but the interactions between the characters especially our four uh turts 
um, there, that's the best part. Like I, I, I did not think I was going to enjoy this movie as much as I did. Um, so yeah, I'm, it's, it's right there up with me. Like I would like to see it again before I put it on my list. Um, I'm not saying that the Meg two had recency bias, <laughs> but it may have had recency bias. Um, so yeah, I would like to see this movie again. Um, just cause I mean, I'm sure I missed all kinds of stuff in there. There's a lot going on in this movie yeah. too. Uh, the animation, very impressive. And there's so much going on. Like, there's so much uh, care and detail put into each frame that there's got Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. Surely I'm confident. LaRon Chapman, what did you think of TMNT Mutant Mayhem? Yeah, I didn't have a whole lot of enthusiasm going into it. But more um, than the, But more than the Meg 2. I did have more than the Meg 2, Can yes. Can we stop, like, dissing <laughs> on the Meg 2? I'm just saying, like, we're all adults. Let's yeah, yeah, get over it. We're all chums. Listen, Caleb does. <laughs> we're all chums. Yeah, exactly. Listen, Caleb he doesn't does, like he pineapples. Does make that, he does make that joke I, in the movie, know. and I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> um, but, no, I, I felt like this was... Um, I had a blast with this. I really, I again, didn't come in with a lot of enthusiasm, but... Um, but given the kind of the the profile kind of went up, uh, like I, I heard a lot more about you know it being really well received. So I was like, okay, maybe there's something else to this. Um, I thought I'd kind of phased out of of interest with this particular IP, but um, I found myself getting really sucked back into it and feeling like a kid again. You know, just really enjoying the again the riffing of the cast. You know, bet- between each other, um, the very unique animation style. Um, which we see to some extent with uh, the Spider Verse films, but it does have a different um, a different aesthetic here that that, that feels a little bit um, messier in a way. Like I think the it's like a doodles in a yeah. and like a, a journal at work yeah. or at school rather. Yeah, you can see the scribbles. You can mm-hmm. see the imperfections. You can see the as like if a little kid drew this. You know what I mean? But like you know, but all of the. Uh, the passion and the, you know, the kind of um, energy is there, you know, and so it it was kind of exciting to see something that didn't, you know, that catches your eye in a different way where it's not so, you know, like Pixar has kind of mastered a certain look that looks great, but we've seen it for so long that it's, it's the, the, you know, the aesthetic is kind of becoming numbing from an aesthetic appeal sort of vibe, you know, and here everything looks fresh. You know, everything is exciting to see for the first time because it is it does have a different a different vibe to it. Um, but, yeah, I love the soundtrack. I thought the soundtrack mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so this felt like a throwback. Um, I don't think it's like super deep or complex, but it's just a good time for me. This kind of feels like the Thor Ragnarok of the Marvel movies. Like it's its own self-contained sort of thing, you know, that has its own. You know, its own language, its own vibe, its own style. And I had a good time with it, yeah. All right. Laurent Chapman had a good time with it. Good Arthur time. Gordon, what did you think of Mutant Mayhem? Uh, yeah, I'm going to echo uh, some of the sentiments. I mean, animation is just stellar. I mean, it's just gorgeous. Uh, I love that, like you mentioned, that rough kind of, you can see the lines, which is mm. a really cool uh, aesthetic for this to carry. Uh, the soundtrack is really great. Um, soundtrack by Trent Reznor and, and, and yeah, wow, Oscar-winning composers yeah, coming. Cool. I mean, amazing. By the, and it was such a good fit. You'd never think about it, but the perfect fit, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, that and the needle. I think the needle drops are all really fun oh, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's good. Strong voice cast. Uh, I, the teens again. There's just like this magnet, ma- magnetic, very specific energy that they bring to it. A youthfulness, but also being in the room. I think adds so much to it. Um, I'm not as sold as on like the other A-list people on here. Like, you know, 
why did you get Rose Byrne other than she's friends with Seth Rogen? You know, there's things like that that I'm like, <laughs> John Cena has like five lines, you yeah. know, like it's those kind of things that I'm like, sure. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but I do like Post Malone as uh, Ray Filet. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. having a good time. Yeah. Um, and I like the sort of reinvention of this world and the turtles that we see here. I think it's a really cool way and a very specific way to reintroduce them to a new audience. I, I mentioned up top, this is a, like a generational series. I mean, it has become a generational mm-hmm. franchise with, at, I think, going into the fifth animated series with this one now. Yep. Um, it's been able to reinvent itself and I think being able to keep familiar things there while also adding new layers to it really helps. And I think this is a really fun, fresh take. Um, I do wish, I, I think I like the first half of this movie a little better than the second. I don't know that I love the third act as much. Um, Can I get, turns into a little more uh, comic book, you know, third yeah. act problem of got to have this big bad that, guy yeah. and it's got to be a big spectacle piece. And yeah. yeah. So I think I was kind of hoping for just a little more complexity from the story. Uh, but other than that, you know, that's kind of the big gripe I have with it. I think I, I, overall though, it is fun. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. I laughed a lot. Uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed all the little references. You know, we get the ninja rap yeah. uh, drop. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've got reference to Eastman and Laird uh, sprinkled in. So I think it, it it knows and loves its source material. Right. And I think yeah. that comes across really well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd echo what you guys have all said. I, I think, uh, you know, as a person who I, I've appreciated they existed, but I've never gotten into it. This, even though this is certainly for, as you say, the next generation I felt like this was an amazing film for anyone who's curious, who's been curious and not jumped, jumped in mm-hmm. what, what's, what's appealing about these characters. Why is it fun? And I think it does it from top to bottom, everything, the, the voice acting, they, they wrote some great, the teen drama feel, it feels like real teen drama, mm-hmm. common things. Like I just wish I could be accepted, but I'm afraid that if I try, if I put myself out there, I'll be rejected. You know, just common things that you think about when, with teen movies that we've never seen in a, you know, TMNT movie mm-hmm. uh, on the big screen. It's re- it's relatable. The animation style, I think, lends itself uh, to multiple generations as well. Uh, for kids, it's just kind of cool and flashy. But I'm also thinking of adults that had that, do- again, that doodle aesthetic that I feel like is kind of nostalgic these days. Um, yeah, you guys have said it all. But I, I really do feel like they love and care about the source material. And they're trying to figure out how to make it accessible and relatable to all audiences, both children and adults. And especially having rewatched a couple of these over the last month, I I just don't know who those movies are for other than people who watched them when they were kids because mm-hmm. they definitely don't hold up for adults. And even if I was an adult who watched as a kid, I'm still like, man, there's just so much about this that clearly doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they hold up for at least in my from my estimation. They didn't really hold up. Whereas this, I, I feel like it's a little more timeless and appeals to a very broad audience. And kudos, uh, you know, Seth Rogen was a key. Mm-hmm. His, his team of guys, so the producers are... Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, and James Weaver. Uh, they have a crew. They've done projects together. Kudos to them for figuring out how to really breathe new life into this whole thing and, and really think outside the box. Again, going back to the composers, I never would have thought of putting Atticus Ross, and, you know, Trent Reznor on this project. But when you, you say it and you hear it, you're like, yeah, this totally fits the kind of grungy vibe that they're going for of, you know, your main characters are creatures that live in the sewer and eat pizza, you know? Uh, yeah. Anyway, great stuff. Ha- had a great time. I do. I will say Arthur to your point though, and what you're saying to Leron, and we'll save it for spoilers, but there is this idea because there are other mutants in the movie and the other mutants sort of pose this, this seductive. Oh yeah, but we're like you. Okay, cool. 
And I think they had an opportunity to maybe get a little more nuanced if they had chosen to do that into what makes the villains of the film tick a little more. And they are like, mm, too much. Let's just keep it simple. Uh, I think so. I do think it was a little oversimplified, but you know, can only ask for so much for a movie that's, I think, really targeting especially a younger demographic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how would you guys compare this to what we've seen in the past? Uh, Arthur, are you, you've seen the most. I mean, what would you say, if you, holding this up against other, older films, what stands out to you here? I, I think it is a very specific take. And I mean, as we've kind of been talking about it, emphasizing the teenager that's in the name. You know, we've gotten plenty of the mutant stuff. We've got plenty of the ninja stuff, plenty of the turtle stuff. But this is the first one that really plays to the teenage. And I think that's what makes it super unique and super interesting. And I think that's kind of the big thing to kind of herald about it is the way in which it embraces that element mm -hmm. of the turtles. Yeah. And uh, that crew is a good one to bring on. The people who did super bad and all these, mm -hmm. you know, like there, there is, it was, a, it was, they definitely brought on the right team uh, to work on the film. LaRon, anything that stuck out to you? Um, I think it seems like it's cobbled together the things that worked, uh, that did work about the old films. You know, um, there, there is a, a, a level of campiness to it, a little bit of a vibe, to, a different vibe to it. I love the animation again. And I think that um, much to what you're saying about them actually being teenagers, because um, it makes me think of all those fun teen films I used to like, but then I go back and watch them. They're kind of cringy now because most of them were played by 20 somethings or, mm. or early 30 somethings and they were being teens, but then they're doing kind of uh, having these like sexual awakenings and different things like that, that just kind of, you know, in retrospect feel a little, you know, and here it just feels right. You know what I mean? The things they're talking about seem age appropriate. They seem like the things that, you know, teens this age would be talking about, you know? And so, I think that yeah, I mean it's it's it it stands out in that way. But I like uh, I thought that the movie did a good job also of highlighting New York City as a venue. I mean, all it, obviously New York is in all the movies, but no, I, I don't want to say too much. But they definitely make you you feel the grossness of New York, you feel the grandeur of New York, the bigness of it, and all. But also the people of New York. Especially if you've never, you know, if you've only been to New York, like you're not sure how your New Yorkers are going to act. Are they going to be angry? Are they going to be nice? Can be friendly? And and you feel that with the main characters. And then I won't say where it goes, but you know, it goes in some directions where you're like, okay, I feel like we're getting a slice of the New York New Yorker too yeah. here. As and well. the music, the music is very nostalgic because it doesn't really lend itself to. Uh, it's not modern. A lot of the music is is the soundtracks are like for our generation. Mm -hmm. You know, like so. Um, that's for the people I'm, I'm assuming that grew up with it. You know, that's like the callback for us, you know, in that way. Cause I don't think, I don't think the, the, I guess the Gen Zers are, are listening to nineties hip hop or, you know, that, that sort of thing. I mean, maybe they are, but, uh, to a lesser degree than we were, but. Yeah, absolutely. Josh, was there anything that stuck out to you? I mean, I know you haven't watched a yeah, lot of Turtles. Yeah, that, that was kind of my thing. I was like, I'm just going to stay silent so they don't ask me that. <laughs> I, I'm like, I, I can't compare it against anything. So, I mean, I, f from what I have seen from, like, clips and stuff that are on YouTube and things like that, it's I, I like this. I think, again, I think this does a better job of kind of telling a little bit more of a story um, then, I mean, a lot of the animated stuff that we have right now, um, the, it, it does tell a really nice story. So I, I like that. I do have my complaints, which we'll talk about when we get into our spoiler section. Um, so like to, it's not a perfect movie. It's a fun movie. Um, it's great if you have children, um, or if you're the young at heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I feel like this is one of those where if I was a parent and I had to take my kids to an animated movie, I'm glad it's this. You know what I mean? One of those where you're like, I can actually go and have fun. Yeah. It's versus, like, yeah, there's some that are pretty, there's some pretty bad animated movies out there that parents are forced to watch. Yes. Yes. You um, could take your kids to the Meg 2. The Meg 2. <laughs> I mean, it basically is a cartoon. <laughs> there were, there were children in the Meg 2 and I'm like. This girl is four. She's a little bit too young. She has a Simba plush that she's holding. I'm like, it's a little too young for her, mm-hmm. I think. Well, see, they wrote there was a preteen-ish character in the movie. She was like 16. <laughs> oh, man. Jeez. Okay. Now I feel dumb. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Uh, letter grade. What letter grade would we give uh, TMNT Mutant Mayhem? And I'll go back around the table opposite direction. Josh, what letter grade would you... or Give us your letter grade, but also give us a rating on your scale. Uh, yeah. So letter grade, I would give this a very strong B+. Um, and ours, uh, for what's up fandom, we do pass stream rent or buy pretty self-explanatory. Would you pass on the movie? Would you stream it? Meaning you don't have to pay anything extra for it. Would you go out and rent it or see it in the theater or would you buy it? Um, it is, it's a, again, it's right up there. It's a very strong rent for me or go see it in the theater. Um, I don't think I would buy it again. I think I do need to see it one more time just to make sure. Um, but the, again, the, the issues that I had with it are very minor, but it's not one that I'm like, I'm going to go buy the Blu-ray the moment it comes out. Mm-hmm. So that's my only caveat to it. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. There are some movies out there that you go and watch at one time and it's great and you don't watch it again or you, you know, or you don't, you know, you buy it on sale or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's fair. LeBron Chapman. I'm also going to give this a B plus. Um, I'm just delighted that I enjoyed it and had enough of a good time with it. Um, I kind of hearken my experience with this as I did with uh, Dungeons and Dragons, maybe to a lesser degree, but just in the sense that this was not tailor made for me. And then I was wrong, you know, and so I went into it and thought, well, actually, this is checking all my boxes, you know, Mm so um, on that alone. Yeah, I think it's worth seeing. Um, So, yeah, I give it a solid B plus. All right. Arthur Gordon. Uh, I'm going to add to the table. I'm coming in at a B plus. I think it's good. Great animation uh, overall. Uh, a very good, not great movie. Yeah. Well, wow. We're all in agreement because I'm also a B plus. <laughs> uh, you know, I think what would have given it an A was, you know, we mentioned Spider-Verse earlier. I thought for Into the Spider-Verse, the, the first Spider-Verse, Into the Spider-Verse in 2019, that one was sort of a revelation in terms of the visuals, but also it had a really powerful story, a nuanced story with a lot of um, themes that I thought the movie followed through to some pretty powerful conclusions. This one, I don't think lived up to the latter part. I think it looks great. I think the story is good, but it's not like masterful. Again, the third act's kind of sloppy and there's not really a lot of, I, I'm going to have to watch it again. I didn't feel like there was a lot of subtext that I'm like, oh, I need to go through and write an essay on it to really digest it. I feel like it's pretty straightforward. So good story, not great story. Uh, really, really, really good movie. B plus, not necessarily like an exceptional movie, sure, but very good. Uh, last thing we want to do, what, what other re- media recommendations would we have for our listeners who are into mutant mayhem? Uh, it could be a movie, television show, novel, music, video games, etc. And, um, Laurent Chapman, I'll start with you. Something that came to mind that I don't think is necessarily age appropriate for the audience that would go see this, but 
I couldn't help not think about it whenever I was there was Attack on the Block. Um, yeah. With uh, what's John Boyega? Well, yeah. 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 Um, one of the first movies I saw with him in it, and it has that kind of nostalgic vibe to it. This movie has a swagger to it. You know what I mean? This kind of kind of slightly urban centric kind of vibe to it. You know that. I think that film also did, and which was also kind of a riff on uh, the Goonies, you know, like a more adult take on the Goonies um, in South London. So I thought that that was uh, that was something that came to mind. The dynamic between mm-hmm. that that core group kind of felt a lot like these kids. So uh, just kids that mean well, getting into trouble, but you know, uh, sometimes they fight aliens. Sometimes they fight aliens and in, in slimy things. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Attack of the Block. That's a great recommend. Uh, and if you haven't heard about it, go check it out. Totally worth your time. Josh Kane, what would you recommend for our listeners? Uh, I went with a bunch of books. Um, If you like kind of like the, not necessarily like monsters, but the spookums and the creepum type of things, um, I would go Artemis Fowl. Love that series. Not that Disney Plush thing. (laughs) Yeah, the tax write-off starring Kenneth Kenneth Branagh. You can't even see it anymore, which is I was one of the lucky few. Wait, wait, wait. They they took it down? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I got maybe 10 minutes in, and mm. I was like, nah, we're I woke we're up right. way too early one day, and it's like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh is in it. How bad can it be? He directs it, doesn't he? Wait, he is the director, isn't he? Shit. You're right. Never say how bad could it be when Because it can be. It can be bad. <laughs> You're right. That's true. Um, yeah, I, I think those books are great. Um, Percy Jackson, too, if you want kind of like the team up. A mm. um, bunch of kids getting in trouble. Um, Percy Jackson, and then, you know, maybe a little bit of Rotten Ruin. If you kind of like the zombies, if you also want, like, teenagers going off doing their own type of thing, having to fight against the odds and everything, make friends, love Rotten Ruin by Jonathan Mayberry. Very good. I don't get a lot of book recommendations on this show, so Josh came. I had a you. feeling, so that's what I was like, I'm going to bring books. We did, <laughs> Chad Perisman's another guest. He's been on a couple of episodes. He usually brings in books, but, like, it's, it's not very often. So, it's it, yeah, you're one of the few. Thank you. We all need to just watch less and read more, probably. Yeah. yeah. Arthur Gordon. We might have, not have a yeah, choice may, here pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. We're about to run out of content to get yes. to mate. Arthur Gordon. Uh, yeah. So I think, uh, I again, I just watched this movie, but uh, Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, which is based on the most recent animated series, which is on Netflix. It came out on Netflix last year. And I think it's just one of those things that they're like drop and don't promote kind of thing that they do. Um, but I think if you're looking for a turtle movie that does have like the more depthful uh, storyline and like higher stakes. Like I think that I really kind of wish that was the one that had gotten to theaters. Yeah. I, I really, I've been kind of thinking about it all day and uh, it's kind of checking all the boxes that this one kind of missed for me. Uh, so I think if you're looking for something with just a little more depth, a little darker, uh, check that out. It's like 80 minutes too, so that's it's nice. It's on Netflix. So yeah, it's no extra cost. Yeah, go do it. Uh, unless you're not in the household, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and then uh, I think go check out some of the post Spider Verse animation stuff that's been coming out of yeah. America. Yeah. Uh, I specifically I'm thinking of the bad guys and yep. uh, Puss in Boots, which both have a, also on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A different take on animation, which is kind of refreshing. Yeah. We're going to talk more about that in spoilers, too, because uh, I it, it has been so exciting to see the post-Spider-Verse animation boom from the U.S. Mm-hmm. because it's like all of a sudden they just had to have someone say, guys, it doesn't have to look mm-hmm. like Disney or Pixar. And then everyone's like, wait, it doesn't? Mm-hmm. Well, in that case, let's mm-hmm. try mm-hmm. new stuff. I, mean, I got three. Number one, I was very Turtles adjacent in terms of the TV shows and movies I've seen little bits and pieces. You know what I did? My mo- my Probably my the most time I spent with the Ninja Turtles before this, the video games. Yep. 
so there's the original arcade game, uh, the one you've probably seen at arcades. It was also on the Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, and then the one I like the best that I know is currently on Xbox Live, I think it's on Game Pass, is the Turtles in Time remake, uh, which, again, it's just a beat-em-up. So you, you, and you can do co-op with up to three other people in the modern consoles where you just go and beat up bad guys, beat the crap out of them, and move on to the next level. Super fun. Yeah. There's lots of cool, especially in the re, the the one that came, I was, gosh, it was probably 10 years ago now at this point, but they remade it yep. and gave it HD graphics and they added all sorts of quips and stuff they couldn't do back in the, you know, arcade days and uh, totally worth your time. If you like this movie and haven't played those, see, I encourage you to seek it out. They're a really good time, especially if you're a dad with kids and you have a game console. I think it, it's a good, it's a good one. I'm a dog dad. Does that count or? I, I I guess you're right. I have two dogs. We all. I think we're all. Josh, you have any? Do you have any furry friends? No. 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 They would. They would um, put hair on the vintage video games. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a Tamagotchi in the box. Yeah. Does that count as a pet. Yeah. Sure. All right. Technically, yeah, so, yeah, it's in the I'll household. Yeah. yeah. Next one, I recommend. Very popular. So you've probably heard of it, but uh, if you haven't watched Avatar The Last Airbender, especially that one, but I would even go as far as if the children are a little older, you could do The Legend of Korra. I think there's a lot of similarity. The the teen, young adult storytelling about a, a group of teen, young adults, teens bonding together using martial arts plus some superpowers to do some cool stuff. It's a very good movie. Uh, he, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the M. Night Shyamalan. Or, 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 no, or, no, you're about the James Cameron one. Oh yeah, that, no, yeah, no, it is no. great. Uh, it is great. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But... <laughs> 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 Lastly, for the adults, if you like dirty, grimy things and you haven't Ooh. watched it yet, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. It's mm. a really great uh, series. You can watch it also on Netflix. It's an anthology show, so you can watch the episodes in any order. And if you want to be grossed out by mutant-looking things, it's totally worth your time. Uh, highly recommend that series as well. I don't know that. It, I mean, people have watched it, but I don't know if it really caught on as much as it, I yeah. think it deserves. This portion of the Cinematic Schematic brought to you by Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Man, we got Peacock sponsorship dollars coming. We got Netflix sponsorship dollars. Letterbox is in the queue, guys. Let's go. This Let's is counter go. to the strike, guys. This is counter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that might just kind of go somewhere. Uh, all right. With that said, uh, if you don't want to be spoiled on TMNT Mutant Mayhem, go ahead and tune out now. Where the heck is 122 and an 8? You're standing on it, dude. Just slip it down here. Give me that. Hey, this is a 10. The tab's 13. You're two minutes late, dude. Ah, come on. I couldn't find a place. Wise man say, forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. We all talked about this in our review, putting the teen in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This is the topic I really want to dive into because I think it's for me, and it sounds like all of us agree to a certain extent, this is the thing that sets it apart probably from the other iterations. So uh, when developing the film, Rogan said that one of his goals was specifically to focus on that aspect, uh, which again, as I noted, it kind of fits in with his, the, his background and experience in the genre. So maybe uh, let's kick things off by talking about how does this movie approach shifting the focus on being a teenager in ways we haven't seen before in the franchise? And uh, I will start with you, Arthur Gordon. Um, I, I think, again, you know, obviously casting teens to voice the turtles uh, is a big part of that and helping that um, give it a youthfulness and an energy, um, you know, 
we talked a little bit earlier about the way in which uh, the older iterations, they felt like they were just older and they just had teenager in the name. Like, I don't know, they're 19 working at Enterprise Rent-A-Cars. You know, I don't know. There's no uh, real depth to them. I mean, they're immature. They like pizza. Like, that's not enough to make a teenager. Yeah. Right? And so here, you know, they're playing on their phones. They're recording all the stupid stuff that they do. Uh, because they think it's all cool and great. Uh, they're doing dumb stuff like throwing ninja stars at each other. Uh, yeah. It's it's capturing that kind of youthful, specific energy uh, that I think really makes it uh, kind of soar. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I really honed in on the... Um, the, thi- the I think the strongest thing for me was the idea of what will the world accept us, which again, mm-hmm. is not a thing we haven't yeah. seen before in a, just in movies in general uh, with, regarding like super powered things. Um, I thought they hit it really well because you really feel like it's their first day of school. The movie ends with the, the first day of school and it's, it's like, will they exist, uh, accept us for who we are? How many, that's like every teenager, right? Yeah. I, I, if I put myself out there, will people like me? Or will they be reviled at my weirdness, you know? Uh, and I just thought that was such a relatable idea that they executed really well throughout the film. I mean, obviously the closing shot, but it's an, an ongoing thing. When they encounter April for the first time, they are just like losing their crap. They're like, oh my gosh, she's going to like tell everyone about us and it's going to like destroy the world. And she doesn't. She's just like, okay, we, you're a secret. Uh, okay, well, I'll have to figure out how to write around this in my story that I'm definitely going to publish. Uh, Lauren, what what it stuck out to you about the how they approached that for this film? Yeah, it feels like the old ones kind of almost not not disparage, but kind of mock the idea of being a teenager and like and didn't have a real complex idea about what it was like to be a teenager. Like, like it, teenagers are dumb. That like was the old yeah, movies. Basically, yeah, they're dumb and they're like you said, immature. You know, and here I think like you know they're all relatable and likable, and the kind of things they want are simple. Uh, and understandable human things, you know, and I think that it's it's not it didn't need to be super complex, you know, but at the same time, um, it humanized them in a weird way, you know, like, and so I feel like that, that really sets this apart and really gives it something, you know, something tangible to kind of, you know, lean into when watching it. I also think we're gonna talk about it in a minute, but the the desexualization sort of of the April O'Neil character makes huge it. contrast to the Megan Fox version. Yeah, it definitely. It, you know, and I say that in a way that like it, it makes her a character. You know what I mean? It makes her a character and not this object or this thing that maybe, you know, it in well, even her, she's got the fear of public speaking. Yeah. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Which is yeah. super relatable to teens, you know? Sure. And also that was, that scene where she throws up was incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it, it just keeps going. Yeah. But no, yeah, I think it, it just, yeah, it just, I just think it was, it was a brilliant way to, you know, refocus, you know, the the franchise back to probably what the intentions were, but just weren't quite, didn't quite land, you know, before. So absolutely, uh, Josh. Again, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Do you have anything you want to add here? Um, I can't really speak on the Ninja Turtles aspect. Um, them being teens or not, who's to say? Um, but I do like what Seth Rogen did here because it reminded me a lot of like Good Boys where mm. we're just throwing a bunch of like kid actors in here and that's what's making the movie, um, which doesn't sound like they've been doing with Ninja Turtles. Um, it's kind of like, yeah, these are teenage characters and then it's the Scooby gang and Fred is 35 and yeah. has a Netflix account. Like that's not a, <laughs> like they're not, you know, teenagers. 
um, like meddling kids. It's like this dude's your son. Um, so it's like a weird <laughs> type of thing. But so I so them doing that in this movie, I really enjoyed because again, they're kids being kids. It's not love Rob Paulson to death. Met him. He's a great guy. Should not probably be voicing a teenage Donatello. Mm-hmm. So it's like a weird type of thing. So I, I do like that they do this in the, in this movie. Yeah. It, isn't it kind of crazy to think it took him this long to actually hire kid actors to do the team? And t- you know what I mean? It, it's yeah. like it wasn't even a thought that came across yeah. their mind. Yeah, because it's not just one series that's happened before. Are you said this is what, like the fifth iteration, like fourth or fifth iteration, yeah. you know? Yeah. like it, And it took him this long to be like, what if... They kids. were actually teenagers, right? Well, kids are terrible. That's why we get. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, hey, we we already talked a little bit about uh, April O'Neil, but I, I thought one of my favorite things was how it reimagined a lot of things. I feel like it, you know, based on my extremely limited understanding of the mythology, but there's a lot of things I recognized here. You get Shredder pops up in the mid credit scene as a cameo. Uh, April. Still April. In fact, I would say like feels like more like April than any version I've seen before, even though. You know, this is a new version. Um, I I think even the 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 traits of the turtles come out so much stronger here. They're all different, and they've always had each one of them has the thing. But here, I feel like it's it's a lot more nuanced. The things they, for example, the things they want are just different. One of them has a crush on April. One of them just wants to like go experience life, new things. One wants to get, learn more about the technology. I, I just there's like they, they did a good job at kind of separating what makes each one of them unique individuals on the team. So anyway, it's a long way of saying, I think this movie reimagines quite a bit. Arthur, I want to turn to you here since you've seen most. How would you like, how, what did you think of the way they reimagined a lot of sort of the classic tropes or characters of the franchise? Yeah, I, I think it does a great job of maintaining that familiarity, right? We characters we know, things we're familiar with, uh, but to just tweak it slightly to kind of build a new world out of it. Um, like you said, I think April's a great take because she is very tenacious. She's very, uh, you know, when she has a lead or she knows what she wants, she goes after it. I think that's kind of very true to uh, that character. Traditionally, I think, especially if you look at the original movie in 1990, that version of April, I think is very similar. She's very tenacious. She's very much going to get the story, even if it upsets, you know, whoever's in charge or whatever, like she's very much after it. And I think that's echoed here. Um, But also making her a teen who's got insecurities, who has kind of sitting now on the outside of, you know, she's kind of become a pariah. Uh, and I think they take that and handle it very well, very smart. Um, we have a very familiar situation with the actual mutants. We have ooze and we have those kind of familiarities, but you know, here it's just interacting with it. In the old series, it had this weird thing of like the last thing that you touched, the ooze kind of mutates you into that. So if the turtles had been handled by humans, they touch the mutagen, they mutate splinter had held a rat. And so he mutates into it, you know? So it's like, got this weird thing where you kind of have to cross pollinate, but here it's just seems to rapidly morph you into some new uh, being. And so there's a familiarity there characters we know and we, we love and gives them enough of a new spin to make them feel fresh and new while not alienating people. I think. Mm-hmm. what do you think of shredder or sorry, not shredder? what did you think of, um, Superfly. Uh, well, let's Superfly too. I want to get to that. Superfly. Um, oh my gosh, what's Jackie Chan's character? Splinter. Splinter. Thank you. What did you think of Splinter? I think it's a fun take. You know, this single dad who just doesn't know what he's doing. So mm-hmm. TV helps raise him, and you know, he wants his to defend his kids, protect his kids. He's scared of this world, um, and I think it's a fun take. And Jackie Chan's just fun casting. I yeah. think there. So I like that as well. Yeah. 
No, that was kind of a neat one too. I was like, oh, he's just like a weird old dude. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. in the other, they, the, the previous movies kind of present him as this like wise kind yeah. of sage, who, almost Yoda like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this one's like, now nah, he's just some old dude who watched a lot of TV yeah. <laughs> and, and cares about the kids clearly. But I thought it was funny the stuff that they had. To, he had him go get like Doritos and yeah, it just it was good. It was good family stuff. size. <laughs> cool ranch. Cool ranch. Yeah, exactly. Shredder got taste. Yeah, um, I mean, so I mean, uh, Josh, is there anything you want to add uh, add there about sort of how they reimagine or reinvent some of the classic aspects of the characters? Um, well, women with Shredder, we don't, we just see like a like a sh- shrelloet. See, just a something. shred of him. Yeah, no, that's, that's better than shredoet. Um, but yeah, like for April, I had only ever known her as like she wears yellow and is a redhead, and that's basically all I've known of April O'Neil. Um, in this movie, I didn't like her at first because she was kind of a little mean. And she does kind of talk down to them a little bit. Like she's, you know, kind of says like the stuff that they do stupid and stuff like that. But then like sh- I warmed up to her throughout because it's like, oh, well, she's just kind of doing that team thing. It's like that's number one mechanisms. Like when I was a kid, it was like, all right, well, through, you know, we'll, we'll pretend we're be a little bit above mm-hmm. and as you know, she kind of gets more accustomed to them. She, you know, goes into her vulnerabilities and everything. Talks about her being puke girl, um, and then then like her whole entire character like completely changes for me. And I'm like, all right, we're here. I get it. Like that was like the bluster at the beginning, and now we're actually into. It's like okay, I can be friends with these turtles. Um, so yeah, I I really like that. Um, Splinter again. I like what you said. I thought Splinter just being like, yeah, I watched some YouTube videos <laughs> on how to do stuff. I thought that was great. Um, but yeah, that was. I thought he was fantastic. I did love him with his um, like '90s dad hair. Mm-hmm. Yes. I thought that was great. Um, so yeah, I've, I was. I, I I liked their different versions. Um, again, I'm j- just kind of going off of, like the stuff that I've seen. Um, so yeah, I, I thought they were. I thought they were really good. Superfly, voiced by Ice Cube, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What what inspired casting? I didn't even know he was in the movie. You know, I looked at the oh, cast yeah. list, but I think I lost sight of there's him. So there's so many people. There's so many people. I think yeah. I just overlooked the fact that he was in it. Now I was like, wait a second, is that? Yeah, definitely Ice Cube, Mr. Um, Beast in the movie. Let's not forget the best voice. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I thought that was uh, really neat too because I, and Arthur, correct me, as I were, seem to recall, and I was reading around the internet. Superfly was a mutation of the character originally that we actually that act, the, in this movie yeah. dies. Baxter Stockman. Baxter Stockman. Yeah. Who voiced by Giancarlo Esposito, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Gus Fring himself. But in this version, they, he dies, and fly, the Superfly was one of his experiments. Yeah. Um. Like, what did you what did you make of this the fresh take on the on the character? I think it's you know again I mean we also have Bebop and Rocksteady right in, yeah. in the right. cartoons they're actual people who get mutated into these things. Uh, and so here, I mean, everything is just like this found object that gets to uh, mutate based off of this experimentation. So I think it's a fun way to do it. Um, I'm sure there's some nerd out there who's going to be real mad about it, but I think it's a fun way to do it. I think that also really kind of helps set up the parallel for the story that they want to tell this kind yeah. of X-Men versus the Brotherhood thing that yes. plays out. Uh, that's a great comparison. I hadn't thought about that. Way. That is definitely what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Laurent, uh, what, what did you make of the reimagining here? Of, uh, of 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 Superfly. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, all of the characters, all but, of them. but uh, yeah, starting yeah. with Superfly. Superfly. No, well, I feel like with well, honestly, if I just one more thing about April O'Neil, I really love the casting of Ao Edabiri, mm-hmm. who, if you've watched The Bear, um, so good, so good here, and she's having a 
a big year, mm-hmm. you know, with that bottoms, mm-hmm. uh, theater camps coming out. So, um, I just I, I instantly thought this voice is perfect for this. Like her sensibilities, it just feels mm-hmm. very attuned to what this character would be like. And so I, I, I appreciated that and that we're not fixated on her as this object. You know what I mean? Like, and you know, as we just see her as a character, you know, that has her own thoughts and own agency, own, own complexities. And so I appreciated that not being a distracting thing where, you know, she's just the hot girl, you know, mm-hmm. that hangs out with the group, you know, so that was nice. Um, but yeah, yeah, I enjoyed Splint, uh, enjoyed Splinter a lot. Um, it's, it's, it's a fun, like remix of what we've seen before. You know, it's like, there's just enough there of the character that we, we get that it's like who they are. Um, but, but they have something modern, something fresh about them. And so, um, and yeah, and I really liked, I really liked, uh, I thought Superfly was actually a pretty, a pretty fun characterization, you know, and I think Ice Cube, man, I mean, his, you know, some people would t- say he's a terrible actor, and I don't. I just think he's got a shtick. He has his own thing that he's yeah. good at, and when he's and when he's put in the right lane, he's great. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. so. And this this was tailor made for him. So. He's the cool, like in this movie. I mean, he's like the cool uncle who shows up. You know, yeah. right? I mean, like that's mm-hmm. that's the vibe you get when he shows up. They're all scared of him, and he's like, Nah, man, we're all friends. We're all cool. You want to go destroy the city? You know? Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I think that's I think that's. Uh, I think it was another one of those things that, that it was there were some casting that felt like stunt casting mm-hmm. or just because they could they did but mm-hmm. I thought generally the, the casting here was pretty inspired overall um, I think Ice Cube being one of those examples but thinking about Superfly I think uh, Arthur already sort of uh, outlined the sort of X Men versus Professor X story and it's another reason I really like the movie. Common team drama. Where do I fit in? Who do I fit in with? What's the right way to mm-hmm. contribute to society and in a way that benefits me, but also society? Do I do it? The well, I've got Splinter who's saying, don't talk to humans at all. I've got April who says, no, I think people might accept you if you put yourself out there. Or do you go with the other mutants who are like, we are bit, we are here, we are unique. It's our destiny to rule over mm-hmm. the city, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was such a great conundrum to put your characters in because it wasn't just one or the other it was really three different philosophies all at one time and as a teenager that's how it is you start getting bombarded with all these like big ideas and you don't really know what they mean or what the ramifications of doing things um, that follow any of them are uh really i thought it was really smart uh and really brilliant Mm -hmm. using superfly versus maybe a character like shredder that's a little more popular yeah allowed them to kind of really focus on the main characters, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Josh, I'll start with you. What did you make of sort of uh, the, what would you say made the, the, the Superfly great foil to the Turtles, uh, both as characters and also thematically? Um, I think, one, he's a good villain. Like, any time that you can sympathize with a villain or at least see where they're coming mm-hmm. from, you've got a good villain. And you can definitely see where Superfly is coming from. So that's why I thought he was really, really good. I'm glad that we did this because... And not Shredder, because it, it feels like Shredder would be played out, because mm-hmm. I assume Shredder always bad guy. Um, so mm, most of the time. Most of the time. Majority of the, of the time, time. Shredder. Um, so it's like, honestly, I wouldn't even put him in the second movie. Or if we do put him in the second movie, make him like a behind-the-scenes bad guy, like something like that. Because, I mean, I thought what you did with Superfly, and yeah you empathize with them because you're like, oh yeah, no. Government came in, killed his dad, 
and mm-hmm. then wanted to, you know, take his brothers and sisters. So he has to raise them um, and then c- into a place where nobody wants them around. He's had it firsthand, just like, you know, the turtles or I guess the turtles haven't had it. Um, but like how Shredder is. So he's gone through all of this. He knows exactly what they're going through. And the fact that he can be like that uncle character is like, hey, yeah, just join us. We'll we'll make this out. Like, we'll be OK. Maybe if we get rid of them humans who look terrible in this movie, <laughs> like April's the only human that doesn't look awful. Well, they All do. The other humans they do. And that was one of the things I liked too. At the end, they kind of are you saying like visually look terrible? Visually, oh, okay. visually okay. They look terrible. They all have like half of their faces are elongated. Yeah. And like yeah. I thought that was weird. <laughs> um, yeah, like they all look bad. Um, but yeah, like I, I'm kind of like you know what? Yeah, with these humans. Yeah, I could see exactly what you're, you've been through, and like we see it with, uh, so we know it's not just a Superfly thing, mm-hmm. like because it's happened to it's happened to Splinter as well. Mm-hmm. So you can see like, oh yeah, the humans are are kind of crap. Like April is the is the exception, but the rest of them pretty pretty awful people. So maybe we do go ahead and turn everybody and or turn all the animals into. I mean, they die the humans, but I mean, you know, it happens. So like I like I like that it was uh, a thing in there. Um, I I was thinking long term. I'm like yeah, but I mean if you eat all the humans, then you guys gotta have to eat yourselves. And that's like a weird cannibalism type of thing. Seven so. billion humans is gonna last a long time. <laughs> I think I think animals outnumber the humans. Like, yeah. that's probably, I think yeah. the yeah. ocean would just like ruin yeah. us all. We saw again going back to the Meg. <laughs> yeah, that megalodon it's a lot of people <laughs> yeah absolutely no i i think that was um a, a good point though um the if you use shredder he's kind of like what the jokers turned into a batman it's almost like he's overused to the point where you're like can we just like take a break from that mm-hmm. character for not that it's not a great character we know everyone wants to see him but like what if we saw the other bad guys and tried some new stuff with them first so I think that's a good a good note. LeBron, what did you think about sort of this whole uh, idea of the Superfly character? Yeah, I loved that that he's accessing them at a very vulnerable time where mm-hmm. they they don't yet know what their own perspective of humans is. They have a curiosity about humans. Um, for all intents and purposes, they would like to be you know assimilated with them. They 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 love going to see movies and listening to music and 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 feeling you know connected you know in that way. But everything they hear is negative, you know, and then here you got two perspectives, you know, again, well, you said three, actually, but including April, but um, but two dominating perspectives, you know, between their father's perception of what humans is they're dangerous versus, you know, uh, super flies. And I think that that's the perfect, like, con- like you said, conundrum to have them be in um, because they don't know where they stand, but it's enticing, you know, to to join or be a part of this, you know, or to participate in it. And it creates a moral dilemma and it makes the stakes higher, you know, and I think that, but it all hinging on this idea under the guise of, but we're, we're fighting for acceptance, you know, is what he keeps saying, you know, and that's, and that's what they want personally, you know, and so, um, but they're going about it in a pretty, you know, <laughs> insidious sort of way. So it creates a really interesting complexity to the conflict in the story. I hadn't really thought about it, but there's definitely the parallels to like, you know, um, how do gangs recruit teens sort of thing? You know what I mean? Like it's a very similar thing. We're like, oh, no, we're similar. We've got all these things in common. We're going to help you accomplish X, Y, Z goal. And 
you know, people who are younger and have that curiosity don't, they're like, yeah, sure. And being part of something. Here yeah. are other mutants who are also right. ostracized, also are in the same alienated space, you know? And so, you know, like maybe these are my people and maybe I should listen to them. You know what I mean? Like, so, and then they're, and they're far older and have a lot more experience. So it feels like the perfect, you know, the, you know, the perfect foil. So I think it's, mm -hmm. it's a good place for him to be in, you know? And again, as you mentioned, you know, that the, um, you know, him having, uh, something that we can also relate to, you know, we feel for him, even though he's making uh, terrible choices. We, we also understand that he's been through quite an ordeal as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well said, Arthur, anything you want to add about sort of the, uh, Superfly, how they use him as a villain thematically? Yeah. I mean, just kind of echo, uh, Ron and Josh. I think that, um, he is, you know, really kind of set up in an interesting place because he has had very similar experiences to Splinter. Um, but he has said, no, I'm big and mean and I can kind of make a place and I can go to the bowling alley and I can go to the arcade and do what I want. Um, and I think for the teens, you know, they're kind of in that weird place that I think we've all been to is like, yeah, does my dad really know the best thing? I, you know, I think there's maybe a chance that there's something more out there and, you know, they kind of can see farther than he. And so uh, Superfly really does introduce a very attractive opportunity for them. And they're pretty down for it and, until they realize just how high those stakes are. And so, I, I, yeah, I think it's that, again, going back to, you know, the X-Men, I mean, that's the great appeal of Charles and, and Magneto is, you know, they've had very similar experiences. Uh, and they, you know, you can very easily sympathize with Magneto because mm, yeah. of what his family went through and what he's seen humans do. Um, but, you know, is there hope for humanity? And, and I think that's really well played with here. And I think a, a very, again, effective use of the teenagers, because if they hadn't really had that element, you know, to really buy into them being teenagers, I don't know that it's as effective. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that it's all really well played. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, I, I think uh, the only thing I'd add is just bringing it back to the April piece that I mentioned earlier. It's, it makes her more important too, mm -hmm. because she's, it's good that they had that positive human interaction mm -hmm. to see that, well, humans don't have to be bad. She seems pretty cool. Like you were saying, movies are cool. Um, so it's not be, it's not just all doom and gloom, uh, but also uh, why not rule? Why not? Uh, why not rule the world? Be accepted, uh, you know, be able to do what I want, especially yeah. as a teenager. It's pretty enticing. Yeah. Uh, will you guys satisfied with how the film resolves the story about this turtle struggling, you know, with whether or not humans accept them? Josh, I'll throw it to you first. Um, I didn't really like the end. Uh, it, it feels like we do get into like a comic booky thing that I feel like is the new thing. It's whenever we have we need we need to you know in the first movie we have to have something that's going to destroy the world, and we didn't. I don't think we needed that. Mm -hmm. um, them beating him to stop everything like that I was cool with, and but then he's like, oh, now he's a giant kaiju yeah. and we're going to attack on Titan him yeah. and everything like that. I thought that was a fun. I, the fact that we didn't get anything like that, I was expecting some attack on Titan music at one point And I was like, please do it. Please do it. Cause I mean, Leonardo, he's got swords and I'm like, it would have been super cool. And they didn't do it. But, um, that like, I, I wasn't a big fan of that. Um, I understand why they had to do that because, I mean, you need the big spectacle of them being able to, like, look, no, they're the good guys. They're trying to beat giant evil thing. Um, 
So I understand why they had to do it thematically so that they can, you know, have April um, overcome her fear, which I thought was like, good job. Good mm-hmm. for you. Like, I'm glad you overcame your your fear. Did still, you know, a little bit came out. But, you know, <laughs> semantics. Um, I, 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 again, I understand why they did it. I don't feel that we probably needed it to get there. I think we could have, you know, maybe April's story could have helped a little bit too and be like, hey, we've returned all these things and, you know, everything. Like, here's, we beat the Superfly. Um, so I feel like that we could have probably done something with that, but that would have been probably more convoluted than saying giant monster killed monster. And Ooh. there you go. So that's that's my, like, again, I understand why we do it. I, I understand the resolution. Uh, everyone's very quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, but I guess we haven't seen, you know, we saw like five people in the entryway. Um, so I'm sure there's other people in the school that are like, these these are weird turtle people. Like <laughs> that is this is not cool. Um, so yeah, I'm sure we'll get into that. That'll probably happen in two. Um, but yeah, like from the five people, they were fully accepted. And from the ugly people of New York, they also <laughs> were readily accepted. Well, I I mean, I guess you put it that way. The, the their acceptance makes a lot more sense. Humans are just ugly. That's that's the reality. <laughs> so they were like, wait, these people don't look like us, and they actually are more defined <laughs> animation-wise, so maybe we should, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I would just say, and you're not wrong, I I actually am right there with you, and Arthur, you alluded to this earlier, the third act problem. I, it's a, I, frankly, it's a problem with the superhero genre in general, and because the superhero genre is the dominant form of blockbuster storytelling, every film, even the ones that aren't superheroes, think they need to copy it. And so you just have the third acts that... Frequently feel like you're like, I don't know if we needed the world to be like a world ending. Maybe yeah. we did. Maybe we didn't. I don't think we did, especially for a story on this scale. Because I, mean, I think you have it was just, two of them at that point. Well, you have you, like, we've conquer the city. Don't, don't make it a world. Ending. Mm-hmm. Make, it a, make it our neighborhood or our city. But like mm-hmm. it's, it's always like it, it, the scale gets so big so fast. But um, not a deal breaker, but kind of annoying. I'm with you. I think it just seems a little blown out of proportion. Arthur, what did you make of uh, how the film wraps up? Uh, I, I kind of agree, with Josh. It feels a little too clean. Like. Hey, you're just going to accept these turtles now. Cool. Like, I, I know they wanted to get them in the high school because that introduces a new dynamic, but it also feels a little too, I don't know, after watching so many <laughs> movies where the other is usually just immediately shunned and acceptance is slow to come. I, I don't know that it's uh, it's resolving too well for me, but again, like, you know, story necessitates it has to get there. So, um, yeah, I think it's a little too, a little too convenient, a little too clean for it. Um but I think it does present an interesting dynamic of them in public, which again is another, I think, aspect that hasn't been really tackled by the Ninja Turtles. I mean, they're much ninja, right? They operate in shadow, and so now they're in broad daylight, and so that's a whole new playing field, story-wise. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I will say that I don't disagree with you guys about the kind of quick wrap-up either, but you raise a point, Josh. It does seems like the ground is pretty rich for a sequel that's got a lot to a lot of cool stuff yeah to do you know we've we've done the origin story we've reinvented everything but now here's yeah you, your first day your first 
day of school is great. How about the second and third day when the bullies come up and pick on yeah. you? Or because yeah. I mean that novelty is well, going to wear off. Or, or yeah. when the U.S. military is like, well, wait who's a second, bully the turtles, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, some kid is going to have a dad, maybe. But <laughs> hey, four eyes. <laughs> <laughs> some guy is going to have a dad who's a scientist who invents some cybernetic thing that gives some, you know, I yeah. don't know something <laughs> like that. But uh, Laurent, what did you think about how the film wraps up? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to echo what most people said here. I just feel like the what happened was that everything was so internal. Their issues were so, you know, um, this idea of acceptance and needing that. And um, it felt like more of an internal psychological kind of thing where, you know, making it an external issue where, you know, Superflies is large thing, you know, kind of oversimplifies the issue. You know what I mean? And it's like it becomes this overt metaphor for like attack the thing um, and then everything goes back to normal. Um, I don't. Not, I don't have an issue with the ending, um, except for the fact that of how quickly we got there. Because the conflict that seemed to be the conflict the whole story, and then we just were there right after this incident. And I feel like we needed a little bit more time to massage that, or at least to introduce that a conflict is still there. There, mm-hmm. they, they could be integrated into school. But but don't show it as this thing where everything's happy go lucky. Mm-hmm. We we know maybe make it, it a little more ambiguous about how it went. And about yeah. how it went exactly, yeah. and you just showing them playing and like, being fun yeah. and all that stuff seems a little bit too. Uh, again, yeah. clean is the word you use, but yeah, a little too simplified for me. But. Yeah, yeah, I think simplified is definitely the way to go. And I did like that the New Yorkers helped them in the final fight. That was kind of neat. That was probably the one thing about that last confrontation I really dug. Yeah. Reminded me of the Spider-Man, the same Spider-Man It was, a bit, it was a bit too Spider-Man. I also do like the design. That was a lot of fun. Like the, the horses attached oh, to Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, like it was a cool like like design, but I just, I, I don't think we needed it. You know, right. But. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But yeah. But, yes. but it's a funny gag, though, when he's like, Prudence, like, oh, yeah. we did it. One horse. One yeah. horse yeah. runs away. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, hey, um, we're, you know, just to kind of wrap us up here, I want to at least talk a little bit about the animation style. We've already mm-hmm. all gushed on how much we like it. I'll keep this part short, but uh, we already acknowledged that in our Across the Spider-Verse review earlier this summer, we talked about how into the Spider-Verse really broke the mold in terms of what types of animation a studio would make bets on with Disney Pixar style really being the dominant art direction for at least theatrically released films for decades. Things are changing guys. 2023 has uh, been a really interesting year uh, for Disney and not in a good way, frankly. Uh, the two biggest anime movies of the year so far are Super Mario Brothers movie, um, which is from Illumination, which love it or hate it. That movie made over a billion dollars. And Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which was like, it made not a billion, but made a lot of money. Uh, huge, huge, huge wave of positivity from critics and fans alike. Uh, and both of them are a lot more experimental with visuals and what you can come to expect. Meanwhile, Disney is in the midst of a slew of flops or underperformers. Strange World last Thanksgiving. I mean, I, I like the, and I liked the movie, but it just totally bombed at the box Ooh. office. Lightyear also wildly underperformed, one of the lowest growing, uh, grossing, if not the lowest grossing Pixar movie released in theaters of all time. Uh, and then there was Elemental earlier this summer, which had a very, very bad opening weekend, but I guess has had some mm-hmm. legs. So mm-hmm. is recovering, but it's still not like a Toy Story level yeah, or an Incredibles sure. level success. So it really seems like that we're in a position where the way we look at mainstream animation could really fundamentally shift 
because as we said, Laurent and I, I think it was our Barbie review, studios follow the money. They, I mean, they, yeah. like, yeah, you can yeah. like have some artistic merits, but then the the day, they're going to look at the surface, what worked, experimental art direction. Well, these experimental art directed movies are making a lot of money. Maybe we should like, make more of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would just say, like, it, in terms of where do you guys think things are going or how you think, you know, we what the impact of this movie might be, uh, do you think this sort of... Uh, non-traditional art style is going to catch on for more films? And Laurent, I'll start with you. I mean, I think it already has. I mean, I think because we had, you know, before I even knew that another uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie was coming out, you know, when the trailer came for it, I was like, oh, I mean, we just saw, you know, Across the Spider-Verse, and here we're seeing this, 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 you know, this style of animation. Um, I won't say coming back, because it does feel very new. It's kind of a, mm-hmm. an amalgamation of a lot of different styles, you know, so... Um, I do think what's going to happen is they're going to see this as an opportunity. This is where people are going. Assuming Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles makes money this week. And it's, it's doing really it's well. It's doing yeah. really well. Okay, yeah. great. Um, then, yeah, absolutely. You're going to see more of this. And the problem is, is just like Pixar, all these movies looked great when they first came out. And they still look great. I think we're just, we've, we've, our eyes have kind of tired of it. You know, we've, we've seen it. And it no longer has that luster because we've seen so much of it. It's, well, and, and also, it's not just Disney Pixar. It's all the studios that were chasing that look, too. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. Like, oh, these movies are successful. We want to make money like them, so we're going to look similar to yeah, them. Absolutely. I mean, DreamWorks Animation, when they launched, were totally chasing uh, – when they got into 3D animation, I should specify. Yeah. We're totally chasing the Pixar style yeah. uh, for their films. Because there there would be a long time with the, with the Oscars, with the best animated film, where if it's Pixar, it's winning. It wins. Mm-hmm. And now – there's room for growth. We're seeing, like, I mean, uh, Into the Spider-Verse, you know, one, you know, um, movies like lots of stop action animation, like, I mean, Pinocchio, you know, like, so, I mean, like, we're seeing, you know, different animation styles being embraced in a way that they haven't in a really long time. And maybe it's that's a good thing. But my 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 concern with the with the trend is that they'll do it until it's it's, you know. Uh, and beating a dead horse, you know, so. But do you um, think, I guess my question too, related, and, and anyone can feel free to chime in on this as well. Do you think we end up with more movies that look like Spider, or trying to mimic Spider-Verse and Ninja Turtles, or do you think we get more films that are experimenting? I feel like they're going to try and capture this look, mimic it as much as they can to come as close to it. I would like to think they'd be experimental but i feel like that's uncharted right now because so. i really do feel like ninja turtles is not it yes you it's could true. you don't get this look without end of the spider verse but i do not think it is aping that style either. that's fair yeah, yeah. Arthur, arthur what do you think um i think that i kind of agree on that point i you know i i also don't know if we're gonna see a ton of experimentation but i also don't think we're gonna see a bunch of like carbon copy. I mean, the thing about spider verse is is every type of animation is there Right. And I think that's what makes it special, you know, but we do get to see a little more um, stop motion. We get to see a little more stuff like this. And again, I already called out bad guys and Puss in Boots, which have very distinct styles as well. Um, you say studios follow the money, uh, but the other part of that is they usually take wrong, the wrong lessons as well. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the other part of that. Yep. And so I think to speak to Laurent's fear there is I, what will they do? You know, um, I hope we'll get to continue to see different animation styles and, you know, I don't know that we need house styles. You know, that's yep. kind of an old school, I think, animation philosophy is to have a house style. Um, but not every DreamWorks animated movie has to look the same. And I think if they can embrace that, you know, Illumination's putting out what? Their migration quack, I don't know what it's called, right. later this year, which doesn't look like Mario. I mean, it's kind of maybe a more traditional 
uh, vein of what they've done. But it also doesn't look like. I mean, it minions. looks closer to Minions, but it doesn't look like yeah. Minions. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like a Netflix series. That, that's yeah. what it looks like. It looks like a Netflix movie. <laughs> I'm not going to say it looks good, but it, in terms of the art direction, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you know, we'll see. I, I, again, I think you just you have to find the art style that fits the project. And I think if you allow your creators and your animators to play, you'll get to see some really unique stuff. But I think if the studios think it's the that specific aesthetic that makes the money, that's where it's going to go kind yeah. of off the rails. Yep. So uh, time will tell. But I'm excited that we're getting more experimentation, uh, you know, because this Turtles could have been a very traditional yep. you know, CG yep. thing. And it, they got to do something fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it really did enhance the movie too. If this had been like a uh, if, a traditionally animated Pixar style, it probably would have, we would all been like, yeah, it was it was fine. Yeah. I think I would have came in a lot cooler on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, sure. It's it's nice to see that America is finally kind of breaking out of that. Mm-hmm. Like we're not just going to chase Disney because Japan's been doing it for years. Mm-hmm. France's doing it. Ireland's been doing it. Yep. China's animation boom is happening right now. And they're, I mean, some of their first stuff was all kind of like the same looking, um, but that's supposed, because that's a whole like genre. We're doing their own cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. So they want that to look the same. But I like that we're finally, you know, getting there. DreamWorks, I think, is the, of the major studios, they're the ones who's doing it the best because, I mean, uh, Bad Guys doesn't look like, Puss in Boots doesn't mm-hmm. look like How to Train Your Dragon. Right. So, like, they're actually changing animation styles, um, whereas half of the Disney movies look like they're the exact same. I don't know um, what Disney is not in Pixar. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I can't tell one which ends. one's. Yeah. yeah, that's the problem. Oh, like, there's, for example, there's that movie, A, A Wish, that's coming out. I mean, have you guys seen the trailer for that yet? Ooh. I think so. That looks it looks it's generic. Like, <laughs> it, it looks so generic. Like everything about it, it's like it looks like Moana and Frozen and mm-hmm. like like all of them kind of started to blur together. And yes, Pixar, which originally was a separate studio that I did I think in early days was innovating quite a bit more. It, it's all kind of converged into yeah. like a very similar for every movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, but the big I I think we're gonna see a lot of things, unfortunately, start to resemble um Spider-Verse. This movie, if they would have, I'm sure if they would have had the 300 animators that the first Spider-Verse movie had, they would have done it exactly, and we would have had a carbon copy except with Ninja Turtles. But since we don't have that, I mean, I'm not 100% sure how many animators worked on this, um, but it's Warner, so, or a Paramount, so probably not a lot. Um, So I could, my fear is that's what we're going to do, but if we have at least deviations of like, okay, yeah, we you know we don't have a, the, the amount of animators, but we still want to do something in the same vein. I think we'll be okay for a while, but my biggest fear is like, we're just going to have Spider-Verse over and over and over, and then when the next big Spider-Verse comes out, we're going to have that over and over and over. So that's my kind of, hopefully we don't have it, because I mean, we had the CalArt style that I think we're still using, and since like the mid 2000s and stuff. So I just hope we don't, we, we can finally get mm-hmm. away from stuff. And we look at, especially with a lot of these animators um, growing up now, growing up with stuff like Japanese animation mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of the, the different international animation. Maybe we can look at that and say, you know what? Let's do this because these previous animators, like what they have, they had Disney. And it's like, that's all that you're going to know. Yeah. So it, it is, it is interesting. I, again, the, 
the fears there. I hope we don't go there. Um, but with this writer strike, who knows how we're gonna? Yeah, how who how anything's gonna? I mean, when you put it into down. perspective, it, it is a very interesting turning point. I, definitely, an animation, I, I think too, is a part of it. But the I they're think the, probably gonna strike next year too. Oh yeah, like theirs is up. What June, May, or June? I think of it's next about year? Uh, June. Yeah. I so think. I mean, yeah, I they're, they'll strike. I mean, and mm-hmm. then we won't have animation. So it's like we've got a weird thing. But I mean, you know. We'll see what happens. Maybe Canada will come in, sweep down. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just seems like it's an interesting time because uh, we talked about this in our Barbie review, looking even stepping back and looking outside of animation. What has worked historically, I feel like it, like the studios had a formula down. We were getting Disney was like the best at it. Mm-hmm. We got all these. And I'm not saying the movies were all great. I'm just saying in terms of we know a yeah. thing that we can produce that will make tons of money. And they, I mean, every Pixar movie used to be a bona fide hit, every single one. And yeah. people would go see it just because it's a Pixar movie. And now they're flopping. Marvel films, they're still making good money, but they're not making pre, you know, they're not making MCU 2015 to 2019 money. And, and frankly, I, the gist I'm hearing, I'm not saying everyone hated every movie, but like the general consensus I'm hearing from a lot of people is they're really fatigued by Marvel and have been underwhelmed by the last few of the movies so it just seems like studio like especially disney but studios are less and less certain about what works one potential positive is we start experimenting and seeing what's the new thing that works but the flip side of that is you get an executive said that barbie movie made a lot of money how many toys can we turn into a movie (laughs) you know and that's wrong well well, we're already there right the mattel playhouse thing that they're doing with their what, 42 projects they've uh-huh. got lined up? The Hot out. Wheels from J.J. Abrams. Yeah, uh, we talked about that last week. They should yeah. redo Small Soldiers. I think that would be... <laughs> I'd be here for that, man. <laughs> See, I would do that because it's an original IP, at least. Well, I mean, well, either that or you could do Small Soldiers, but, I mean, like, if you're Mattel, it's still like, well, just do, you know, what What does Mattel have? Do they have He-Man or is that Hasbro? I think that's... I think that's... Ha- no, maybe Mattel. Uh, yeah, you're right. It is Mattel. It is. Yeah, yeah. Masters yeah. of the do Universe. He, do yeah. He-Man. Except make Skeletor the good guy. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> he on the li- there's like a huge list. Uh, I'll relink it in the article. There's yeah. a New Yorker article about how Mattel's well, strategy to adapt everything. Well, there's Barney from... I can't think of his name. Daniel Kalula. Daniel yeah, Daniel. Yeah. 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 I'm here for it. Oh, yeah. Well, the Barney one's definitely the... He's like, it's the messed up A24. Yeah. You know, it's kid-friendly, but not really for kids. You know, it's you're like, like oh, what is this? What is this God? It's death to smoochie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway. Uh, well, hey, guys. I think we're about out of time. Uh, this has been so much fun. Uh, firstly, uh, Josh, Arthur, thanks so much for hopping on and talk uh, Ninja Turtles with us today. Anytime. Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me. And, Leron, thank you for not subjecting us to a two-hour talk with Josh about the Meg 2. <laughs> so. You're invited. Just come on. Let me know. We'll do Meg 2. Um, but uh, if you bring sushi. I, I've, I've, they've got like four sushi places by me. We, that's easy. Perfect. Right. And yes, I failed as a host and not bringing real pizza. I'll get Long John Silver's too. So that's more appropriate. So. <laughs> uh, well, hey, I uh, want to let listeners know where they can keep up all the things you guys are doing online. Josh, I'll start with you. Uh, yeah, you can find uh, the What's Up Phantom podcast on X um, <laughs> and Instagram. Just type in What's Up Phantom podcast. You'll find us. We're on any place that you can you know the itunes stitcher Podbean, google play mm-hmm. spotify audible all those places you can find us r.i.p um, stitcher though stitcher dead oh yeah it is yeah. dead mm-hmm. we're now for oh. a rolling 
I yeah, pour probably. it out for the stitch. <laughs> oh, that means I have to change all my cards because we put the stitcher. Right. <laughs> Damn. Um, well, um, so yeah, so you can find us on everywhere but Stitcher. Maybe if you go back, use the Wayback Machine, you'll still you'll find us there. Yeah, archive.org. Yeah. Um, Archive <laughs> um, yeah so uh, we're there. We have our like our Fandom Fridays. That's where we just do anything and everything. Um, web comics, comics, movies, TV, animation. You know, mo- like all of it. We're, that's on our Friday stuff. Um, we also have our Anna Mondays where we do anime on the Anime Book Club. Um, you can check us there. Um, we haven't put some of those out because this season of anime is pretty trash. So we'll, we'll be doing stuff. We'll, we'll bring that back. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, we've, we've got so much stuff in the in the pot, frying pan. We got on tap. On tap. Yeah. Uh, did you guys hit episode of 400 recently? Yes, we hit 400. Congratulations, yeah. man. You. That is Full-blown commitment. Mm-hmm. Even 100 is a big deal, so 400. Holy cow, congratulations. Thank you. Well, it's actually 447, but... Well, no one counts bonus episodes. Well, well, the, back, the old days, I didn't use interviews as, mm-hmm. like, episodes. Right. They were interviews. Yeah. And we had a thing called the Cartoon Cafe where we would go see a movie, and then we would go to IHOP or Beverly's or something like that and then talk about it, you know, like you would normally do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would record those. Um, never did those, so, I mean... Technically 447, but I mean, 400 sounds better. Yeah, there we go. I mean, either way, impressive run. Thank you, thank you. Up. And I haven't listened to it yet, but I would say, listener, if you're wanting to check out his show, check out the Barbenheimer episode A, because obviously we've talked a lot about it on this show. But also you said featured uh, uh, Harold Story from Toons Toons. Yep. He was, he's been on our podcast. I think we had him on last to talk about... Uh, everything everywhere at once, which has been a minute, which means we need to invite him back. But um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, great guest host on that show as well. So check him out there. Arthur Gordon? Uh, yeah, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. I don't know uh, where all uh, they're at, but uh, I know we're on Spotify, iTunes, uh, the usual suspects. Uh, you can check us out there. You can go to goodtrashmedia.com. Uh, you can type in Good Trash Media on some social platforms. I'm sure will pop up. Uh, you can find me at the Arthur Gordon on Letterboxd. And yeah. Very cool. And uh, are you guys so? Uh, so Dalton was telling us when he was on a couple weeks ago that you guys oh uh, had been doing your was it like t- best director like top lists episodes? Are you guys still in the series? Or? So that was July. I'm I'm confused because we've recorded like a month ahead. Uh, so July we did our summer of lists. So we did top ten directors, top ten actors, top ten TV shows, and then top ten ways to teach the '90s nice. uh, in film. So that was a fun Ooh. run. Very and cool. Then we did a little in August. We're doing a. Uh, is it pre-recorded or are they already re- available? All the summer of lists are available. Okay. Yeah, that was our July I'm very thing. curious to hear those. Yeah. yeah. The best of the 90s, or to teach yeah. the 90s, that sounds like fun. relevant to this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then in August, uh, which is this month, right? Time is weird. Uh, <laughs> yes, we're doing kind of a family-oriented uh, run. So we started with The Last Unicorn, uh, which I think just dropped. And so we'll have some fun stuff to go along with that. Excellent. Well, Listeners, good chat, Cast. Also, you guys are over, you hit 500 earlier this year, an yeah. incredible back catalog of all sorts of movies. Uh, and frankly, it's pretty evergreen. You know, yeah. when we talk about new stuff here and uh, you, the stuff you guys are talking about, it's a lot more. You can feel like the episodes you recorded five years ago just are relevant today, which is great stuff. LeBron Chapman, where pe- can people follow you at? Well, I don't have 400 episodes, but I do have 1,300 <laughs> diary entries in Letterboxd <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you need some reading material. <laughs> um, so if you follow me on Letterboxd at black underscore Senna underscore man, or you can follow me under my name, Leron Chapman, on social media, not threads, not X. You don't get on X. Just don't do it. <laughs> if you're not already there, it's 
it's it's the, it's a dumpster fire that gets bigger every day, Leron. Yeah. Have people learned how to use threads yet? I still don't know. I don't know how to use threads. It's, I use. I it, haven't tried. I'm using it like Twitter because it gives me more characters to play with, and it seems to work. It's supposed to be their the meta take on Twitter, but it is missing a lot of very important features to Twitter, like search and hashtags and the mm. way that people. It, so you can't get things. So, so for example, if you're a fa- if you if you were engaged on Twitter as a fan of a certain thing, and you met a lot of friends on via hashtags and stuff, where you would come on mm-hmm. after. Yeah, you can't do that on no. Threads, which is pretty, in my opinion, pretty vital to the success of the platform if it's going to work. It's like so if Instagram it. has it, you would think. Threads would have it. Yeah. Nah. It's almost like they launched it too early just so they could peeve off uh, Elon Musk. But, you know, uh, listeners, if you want to keep up with uh, more of my movie reviews, you can head over to Letterboxd, See uh, Masters Talk. Uh, that is Letter C Masters Talk. If for some reason you're on X, you can find me there as well. Uh, and that's also the same for Instagram. And by the way, for the Cinematropolis, which you can find on, on all of those platforms, a lot more active on Instagram. Now that X is slash Twitter is actually, let's just say, now that Twitter is officially dead officially in the truest sense dead uh we're allocating a lot of that time to the cinematropolis instagram page so check us out there doing a lot of work in stories i'm still trying to figure out how i want to approach doing regular posts on instagram but in terms of stories when new episodes go up we do polls all that's going to be on the cinematropolis instagram at the cinematrop uh which also means by extension caleb masters is more active on instagram (laughs) at cmasters talk so check out check us all out there uh, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. And thank you so much for joining us for all three parts of our Barbenheimer discussion. We'll catch you again when we return from our end of the summer break, the first week of October. Like I said, be on the lookout there. We're hoping it's Killers of Flower Moon, but it will certainly be a movie.